0: Welcome once again to the Coffee and Heroes podcast. We are now reaching episode 107. So for this one, what we're going to be doing is reviews. And with doing this, this is actually going to bring us right back up to date. Ever since the pandemic hit and lockdown hit and releases were stifled and moved all over the place, we sort of had a little bit of trouble catching up. Um, we've been doing sort of monthly podcasts, you know, going over the best of the, the, the comic releases then we went to fortnightly but this is going to be us back to weekly so this is going to be us covering the 30th of september releases and then from next week we'll actually be back to weekly review shows which just allows us to keep it a little bit tighter speak in more detail about titles you know, the last thing we ever want to do is bore people although some people tell me the longer the better but hey can't please everyone but yeah i'm just i'm looking forward to getting back to weekly stuff because then the titles are really fresh in our minds where we're up for the conversation we can have some structured disagreements coming later and yeah just really happy to be getting back to weekly so your host as always alan owner and operator of coffee and heroes in belfast
1: i'm delighted to be joined by keith how are you sir i am not too bad Al. i'm not too bad at all glad to be here it's a it's a friday evening got a beer in front of me and we're going to talk some comics
0: so you have a beer in front of you i have a jack and coke in front of me what have you got in front of you roddy
2: I've got a nice wee uh, white IPA in front of me. Going the uh, highbrow here,
0: uh, Roddy, uh, hipster to the end, hipster Yeah, to the wee, end. A wee type of,
2: yeah, a wheat IPA, so it's very good, I have yeah. to say. I think his choice of beer is the only thing he
1: doesn't wing it with.
0: <laughs> I don't know. I think for this podcast, he's the most uh, most prepared of all of us. You know, first to make sure. his picks. He was messaging me and Keith, being like, "I'm ready to go, guys. Where are you?" And you know, we're slowly making our way here, so uh, he's he's the most prepared this week. I should maybe let him be the host this week, I think.
2: Yeah, I'm a changed man.
0: <laughs> changed man. Yeah, so as I say, we'll be, we'll be getting to the comics reviews. I mean, we always like to kick things off with news, and again, with getting back to the weekly content, this means it's always much more current and, and things that have maybe just been announced or things that have been disclosed in the last week or so. But before we jump on to the news, just a a quick mention that just in case you didn't see our previous podcast that we posted, we were very fortunate to chat once again to Clay Mann, uh, the artist on the upcoming Batcat, well known for Heroes in Crisis, for runs on Gambit, worked on Valiant, and of course, a a friend of the store, you know, he he partook in our first ever sort of Q&A session slash signing with a a, a top level creator, which was, believe it or not, guys, a year ago.
1: What? And I mean, that was, that was a great day. That was a, it was a great day just getting prepped, you know, and, uh, and inviting him and his family along into the store. And, uh, you know, the crowd, the crowd that we had that day was, was fabulous. Um, right, right the way around the, the store. And it was the, it was the old unit, wasn't it? It was and, indeed. Um,
2: yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, and, uh, it was great. To, it was great to talk to him again. Um, it, it almost felt like, uh, like chatting to an old buddy wasn't it it was uh he, he, he uh he, he didn't hold back in the slag in no <laughs> no certainly no. not with you too
0: certainly not with us too i mean roddy you unfortunately you know couldn't make it that day and you know with with myself he, he seemed to start off a year-long rivalry regarding rob liefeld so if you want to listen to clay attack me about why rob liefeld is one of the The long-term greats. uh, You can listen to the podcast. He did also tell Keith to don't be stupid, which was one of my favorite moments. uh, We
2: might get to talking about later. So
0: (laughs) we might just it all ties together. uh, All ties
2: together. Yeah, I really, I have to say, I really love those those kind of podcasts we do. It's really great to like chat to. Like that's that's a creator at the top of his game, working for like one of the biggest companies in the world, and it's great to get that insight from him and just to learn his creative process and just to just to talk to him he's such a sound guy and he he gave us his time which is a great great thing and went out of his way to uh, to help us so we can only thank him for that mm-hmm.
0: yeah well that's it i mean not only did he go out of his way he uh as i as i've enjoyed telling people his internet was down at home so he actually had to go and sit outside a hotel and you know piggyback their internet but we don't know which hotel it is so we're not we're not daubing you in here clay we we don't think the security guards will be looking for you but uh it was just interesting to hear the odd car go past in the background but it was it was a testament to him you know taking the the time and effort to to chat this and as keith says it was you know like chatting to a, chatting to a buddy which is you know what we always want the podcast to be you know so um but yeah definitely check it out there's a lot of good stuff there there's some insight into Bat-cat, uh, some insight the his creative process into how creators have been dealing with the whole lockdown scenario and again if you want to hear the classic that he has never read which still shocks me to my core you'll have to check out that podcast so um Uh,
1: to be fair we all have those we all have those
0: but but this title, I'm not going to give it away here, but <laughs> how can you work for DC and have never read this title? Anyway, we'll, we'll move away from that. But yeah, do check it out, guys. It's uh, episode 106, so that was us chatting with uh, with Clay. So yeah, just on to a few bits and pieces sort of news-wise we saw this week. I'm sure the, the top uh, item of news will be certainly of interest to Keith. Uh, well, interest to us all, but maybe to you more so, but... The, the sort of Marvel movie news has been a little bit slow at the moment, obviously with the pandemic, with titles being, you know, delayed all the time. There's been more news probably about the TV shows than anything. But we actually saw uh, another crossover coming up in an upcoming movie. So this is something, as I said, I'll be definitely interesting, you, Keith, given uh, your favourite characters involved, probably several of your favourite characters involved here.
1: Yeah, I mean, definitely. it's The the news you're talking about uh, is, the, is the, the exclusive that... Uh benedict cumberbatch has joined uh spider-man 3 as dr strange um so i mean that that is that's interesting in itself uh you know obviously tony stark was was uh spider-man's mentor and uh you know went throughout the the the, from civil war where where spider-man first appeared in the mcu through uh you know through homecoming and and uh uh, End game and you know Infinity War and End game and then Nick Fury, Samuel L. Jackson's Nick Fury stepped into that role. Or well, we know that it wasn't exactly Nick Fury, but you know stepped into that role in uh, in Far From Home. So, is is Doctor Strange? You know the other uh, the other uh, goated uh, individual of the of the the Marvel Universe going to step into that role then as as uh, Spider-Man's mentor. It's a strange, it's a strange one for sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's. Um, I think Stephen actually made a good point. You know, I, I look forward to the Spider-Man movie where he doesn't need a mentor or a babysitter. You know, c- can Spider-Man <laughs> just not be in his own? Is he not good enough to be in his own? As you say, he almost well, needed. A, he almost needed to be babysat in the last couple of movies.
2: I actually think he would have made made good company for uh, what was the last one called Far From Home. Mm-hmm. I think he would have been a good uh, sort of Mysterio in him. Could have been a great um, sort of to and fro. But um, yeah, I know what you mean. I'm like they're not my favorite Spider-Man movies, but yeah, like he doesn't need a mentor. I think like he can go out on his own and do things. You know, maybe he's not going to be
1: a mentor. I suppose you don't know. Uh, I mean, it's it's interesting because Tom Holland does play. Certainly, comes across as a younger Spider-Man. Yeah,
2: naive and
1: yeah, yeah, just learning and... yeah, yeah. So, uh, right at the start of his right at the start of his career, whenever uh, whenever uh, Tony Stark first tracked him down in Civil War. So, he's obviously been out it a couple of years now. But I mean, this is a guy who's he's still in high school, like you know. So he's what sixteen, seventeen. How does that work? well um, how does it
0: work with the five years you know is he still the same age when they came
1: out of the portals and yeah, and yeah.
0: Plastic, but everyone else had though. moved forward
1: five years yeah he's still he's still the same age as he was whenever he dusted yeah uh, so he's still 16 17 so he's he's a kid like um so i can understand why he, in fact he's a he's a minor <laughs> so so he, i can understand why he sort of needs a needs a guiding hand there. Um, the other news was that, uh, of course, in that same movie, they're bringing back Jimmy Fox's Electro um, and that same actor-character combo that he played in the dreadful Amazing Spider-Man 2. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, definitely, for me, the weakest Spider-Man movie of them all. Although yeah, oh I really like Andrew Garfield, but yeah. I, I'm i not a fan of that movie at all. When, once it started getting into like EDM music at the end with how they were going off the different sort of pylons and making different beats and stuff yeah i was i was out i was out
2: (laughs) yeah well i think it's like it's nice in a way to give him another chance
1: yeah
2: i think that's a really cool thing but at the same time you you do feel like you've explored it before is it worth going round again and then if dr strange is in it is electro really the right villain i don't really know 'Cause you're thinking Jamie Fox is a major actor. It's not like Electro is gonna be you know, the level of the shocker in, you know, the first is it the first film, the shocker? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean I think, so I mean I don't I don't know. know. There's been a lot of chat about how this links that amazing Spider Man universe, movie universe to, you know, the Fox movie universe to the Marvel movie. And I don't think so at all because J. K. Simmons obviously has appeared as as uh as J. Jonah Jameson, and that you know, same same actor character combination, but nothing to do with the previous movies. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't I yeah. don't think anyway. And likewise, I think it's the same with with uh, with Jimmy Fox. You know, same actor character combination, but nothing to do with the previous movies. And as you say, probably deserves another shot. And um, I'd say it's more likely that it's more likely that Cumberbatch is going to have the cameo than Jimmy Fox is going to have the cameo. You know, and and if yeah. anything, it's going to be, I don't know what order those movies are going to be. Is is uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness out first, or is this out first? I I don't know anymore. I've lost track of, of the, the order. I think they were
0: saying. I think Cumberbatch was saying they were getting ready to shoot Multiverse of Madness. So that would make me think that it will come first. But again, re- release scheduling for everything in the world right now, whether it's, comics, movies. You know, music. The only thing that seems to be <laughs> sort of died in the wool at the moment is TV because obviously everybody streams from home. But, yeah, I think the release scheduling is all over the place. It is interesting, though, that, you know, I, I said obviously Amazing Spider-Man 2 is probably the weakest of them all, but it also has one of the best scenes of any of them. And it's that scene at the end with the little kid who's inspired by Spider-Man when he goes to fight Rhino at the very, very end. You know, it's like, oh, step back, little buddy, and all this kind of stuff. It's... uh. How that movie closes out is actually really good, but just the rest of the movie was very weak. I think I asked you about this before, Keith. But has there ever been a Spider-Man run where Peter Parker's parents weren't dead and they were just like these underground scientists? And like, uh, was that no. new for the movie? Or
1: the the closest they maybe got was was during the the start of the Clone Saga run, where uh, where Peter's Peter's parents were back, but you know that was before they realized they were. I think it was it was clones or killer robots or something um it was before that so so they, they've never been around for a long time they have appeared and uh they have appeared in flashbacks where you know it was revealed that they were uh they were they were agents i think they were agents of shield uh you know when they were working against the red skull and hydra um and that but no other than that there was no real that was that was
0: that was for the for the movie. Uh, personally, I think the only reason Doctor Strange is in this is because Sam Raimi's directing uh, Doctor Strange: The Multiverse of Madness, and this is his way of getting involved in Spider Man Three that he actually likes to look of instead of the one that was wrestled away from him by the uh, by the production company with it. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, but yeah, no, a- any crossovers good with these movies, you know that you know I I sort of say it all the time, but the, the MCU is basically the biggest budget long running TV show of all time. You know, and it's great to see characters (laughs) just flitting in and out of it.
1: Yeah, they've done a great job. They've done a great job.
0: Uh, And speaking of uh, Disney-owned movies, there was the news this week that Pixar's next movie, Soul, uh, is actually going to be on Disney Plus at Christmas. Now, don't worry, people. This is not another scenario of Mulan and pay £30 for this. Pixar always seem to be, like, the good guy, no matter what they do. Um, And they're actually going to be releasing this as part of your online subscription. So... Is one you're looking forward to isn't it Roddy?
2: Yeah um, I, when I saw this I thought it was I thought it was really strange just because they could make money from it and the the budget for this film was about 150 million and just to put that straight up on Disney Plus that's uh it's a very interesting sign shall we say and this is this is directed by Pete Docker Doctor sorry who who's directed up and um, it was Monsters Inc. as well and um uh, what was the last one he did inside out so the, these are big huge pic like pixar films like i don't know it's very very scary that this is this is coming out on disney plus so there's a there's a lot of money involved in these films so it's it's one of those things that makes you worried for cinema but at the same time it is very it is very good they are doing this and like i wouldn't blame them at all if you're like I think Mulan, um, it really worked. It was an experiment that worked to put it up on Disney Plus, and people were paying for it. So I don't, I don't see why they wouldn't pay for this. But it's
1: it's crazy. It's a really crazy time we're uh, living in because of COVID. I mean, obviously, I mean, Pixar aren't going to be putting something up there, like that for, you know, for free. Obviously, you have to pay your subscription, but you're not paying anything additional for it. They're not going to do that without. You know a plan you know without knowing what it is so is this a case is it a case of marginal losses for 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 major gains you know so you know that every that a pixar movie is always going to make big bucks you know it's always going to be in profit so you know are they putting this out there just to keep content coming out and the hope that the next time they pick, put something out you know people are good aren't going to have you know moved on that you know is it it... it's
2: weird though because i don't know if they need content because there was the big there was a big well maybe by the time this comes out in december but there was there was certainly a big push for uh october november with mandalorian and they've they've just put uh onward up there and then there's um there's stuff on the national geographic and New Simpsons, I'm not too sure that appeals to anyone at this point but um, I think they've, they've got enough stuff, you know mm. it's
1: it's is a very it's, weird
2: one, are they putting this up because there's other films they want to keep in the cinema well, I mean, all, I horrible think things.
1: yeah, just what I was going to say Roddy you know, you put you put a a movie like this out, you know, a, a movie that is going to attract obviously Pixar movies attract kids, we know that they're not just for kids and we all enjoy them but you, you put this out, you know, the Mandalorian's coming out, you know, but the idea is that you hold the Black Widow until such yeah. times as the cinemas open. You know, it's, uh, so, yeah, uh, I was yeah. kind
2: of thinking, what does it mean for the Oscars, too?
1: Well, the other question
2: is, who cares? <laughs> well, yeah, well, <laughs> I'm not the biggest Oscar fan in the world, but um, it, it does need to be in cinemas to be... Yeah, yeah. To be relevant to the Oscars. And uh-huh. I mean, Pixar lives and dies off these Oscar wins. And, you know, um, the director, you know, he, he's won like numerous Academy Awards with Up. I th- think Up won the best Academy feature and so did Inside Out as well, you know. So it's very interesting. It's very interesting mm-hmm. times.
1: Yeah. yep. yep.
0: Well, I suppose it's a case as well of them wanting to provide great content in a bid to get new subscribers onto it. You know, because that's ultimately how streaming services work. I mean, there's a slight sidebar to it, and it's maybe not something you guys are interested in. But I subscribe every month to the WWE Network, which is the World Wrestling Entertainment Network. And if you subscribe to that, you get all their pay-per-views for free. Whereas normally pay-per-views are like a one-off payment of £20, similar to the Mulan idea. But the way they're looking at it is you're giving them money all year round. You know, it's like a or a month. As opposed to pe- maybe buying two or three pay per views per year and making more of you, so so maybe this is the first of them saying like like these prestige level movies are gonna be on Disney Plus and you don't need to pay for them just as long as you're paying your subscription. So it brings more people in that way. It's yeah. I think it's just more long term, yeah. more long term. Uh,
1: you're exactly. I mean, it's, it's the Netflix model. The reason that most shows in Netflix don't go past two or three seasons because once you're two or three seasons in that show is no longer attracting new subscribers. You know, it's the new release because you're not going to jump on something that's three seasons. You're less likely as a new subscriber to jump on something that's two or three seasons deep. You will jump on something that you've only missed a few episodes of or a season of. Yeah. You know, and that that's why you know, the reason, the core reason I think why Netflix content rarely goes past three seasons, you know, for that for that reason, you know. So get me started. Yeah, yeah 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 yeah. Fair, look, fair. look boys relax
0: <laughs> Ozark season four is coming just just relax oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> they hadn't have continued that we 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 riot we rat <laughs> but uh yeah I mean speaking of streaming services another big story that dropped today was for HBO Max believe it or not there will be something else on HBO Max other than the Snyder Cut I knew I'd it in there somewhere.
2: Ugh. Oh, you got us. He got us. He <laughs> tell us about
0: this. But uh, yeah, they announced today that the Green Lantern TV show, which had already been greenlit, but just there'd be very little details given about it. Uh, <laughs> you the say
1: the Green Lantern show had been greenlit?
0: I did. Okay, yeah. Okay, you're what? yeah
1: that, that was intentional.
0: <laughs> that was intentional. I was going to say greenlit, and then Greg Berlanti was going to be the next one. I was getting all the cheese in. But uh, yeah, so it got greenlit today uh, fully and some details started to emerge. So it's going to be a 10-part series to start off with. It's going to be written by Seth Graham Smith, who was a writer of a Lego Batman movie. And Mark Guggenheim, who's co-creator of Arrow and basically started the whole Arrowverse, which then birthed Flash and Legends of Tomorrow and, and so on and so forth. Uh, he's going to be writing for this as well. So it's interesting. The details that they gave out on it, uh, there's no mention of Hal Jordan, which makes me wonder if they're holding him back for potential movie uh, commitments. But it's Can't going to depict... it.
2: John Stewart.
0: Well, this is the thing. It's Well, there's no John Stewart in this either. It's going to focus on <gasps> Guy Gardner, oh, Jessica Cruz, oh, okay. Simon Baz, oh. and Alan Scott. So it's also going to in- involve Sinestro, Kilowog, so a lot of these guys as well. So I, I think this is going to be really cool. I think that it's it is worrying again because this continues to uh, add to the store or the idea of maybe the death of cinema. That the idea of something as big budget and fantastical as this in a TV show, as opposed to being a big budget movie, a couple of years ago was you know unfathomable. You know you wouldn't have you would never have expected it. But I'll really look forward to it. I mean, don't hold it against Mark Guggenheim. He was one of the writers on the two thousand and eleven Green Lantern movie. Which I personally think is slightly given a bad rep. Um, it's better than you remember. It's still not amazing, but it's better than you remember. But I'll look forward to this. I mean, HBO Max are starting to put some good content together as well. There is a part of me that is sort of like, Do I really need another streaming service? Given the amount of content that's already out there. But, you know, I gotta watch that Snyder mm-hmm. Cut boys. Gotta watch it.
2: So what else does HBO Max have of it all? Snyder cut and this?
0: I mean, what what more do you need, Roddy? <laughs> a lot more but yeah there's going to be loads of stuff that you know about already um but there's going to be things on there that let's be honest you've seen before and and to me this wouldn't be a reason to take hbo max for example but i know that they signed an exclusive deal in america that they're going to be showing friends which believe it or not is a big reason why a whole pile of people subscribe to netflix despite it being a a show that's better confined to memory, let me just put it that way. But, but, you know, if you think of HBO, you know, you're you're talking, you know, Game of Thrones, oh yeah. you're talking The Sopranos, you're talking Veep, you're talking Entourage, you're talking all these types of stuff. But they're also going to, and this, this appeals to the movie fan of me, they're also going to be the exclusive home of Criterion. So Criterion is an imprint that obviously gets movies from all around the world, sort of critically acclaimed movies from the last 60, 70, 80 years. And they're going to have all that stuff on there. Got um, a
2: good few Criterion Blu-rays. So.
0: Yeah, I'm the same. I mean, I used to import them, so it did. Yeah, I, yeah. I used to make sure my DVD player was uh, multi-region so that I could play the Criterion stuff. And you'll probably laugh at this, but the first reason was because, you know, I've just talked about critically acclaimed and, you know, monumental movies and stuff, but the first Criterion DVD I ever bought was Armageddon. And it was <laughs> worth it,
1: I can tell oh, you. Yeah. <laughs> uh very very good and uh of course hbo just just gives me a chance to rewatch deadwood and the wire um,
0: so yeah so there's that and then just a couple of things just to finish off before we jump into the comic side of things there were a couple of notable trailers dropped in the last couple of days
2: oh yes
0: i'll certainly let you introduce the first one keith
1: uh i yeah the trailer that uh you you, you popped over to us last night alan i was in the middle of something and i, and I took a couple of minutes out to watch it was the the trailer for the new amazon prime invincible animated series uh based on uh, based on robert kirkman's fantastic uh, fantastic story um you know fantastic uh, comic book series uh it's uh i guess the the gist of it is uh the premise um is about he's mark mark grayson as a he's a normal a normal teenager except for the fact that his father is the most powerful superhero on the planet and shortly after his seventeenth birthday, uh, Mark begins to develop powers of his own and enters into the the world of superheroics under his his father's tutelage. But you know, as you know, this is a this is a Kirkman uh, this is a Kirkman book. So uh, uh, well, that's all I'll say. It's just it's fantastic. But uh, the voice cast for this is phenomenal. Uh, Stephen yeah, Yoon from uh, yeah. Uh, Stephen Yun from From Walking Dead uh, is playing Mark Grayson. J.K. Simmons is playing his father, Nolan. Seth Rogen is Alan the Alien. Mark Hamill is Art Rosenbaum, who's the the uh, the superhero costumeer, the superhero tailor. Uh, Pimento from uh, from Brooklyn Nine Nine is playing Rex Rexplode. <laughs> Walter Goggins is in there. Uh, Kerry Payton, Zachary Quinto. It's absolutely Sonequa Martin Green, Ross Markand, Lenny James. Unbelievable cast. Unbelievable.
0: Also, if you've been in The Walking Dead TV show, you're probably going to be voicing a character in this at some point or another. And, and why not? You know, <laughs> I see plenty of uh, familiar faces as I scroll along the cast list for, yeah. the, for that exact reason. um so yeah, I mean that that will be great. I mean, I I don't have as much experience with, as you with Invincible. You very kindly lent me the first omnibus a little while back, and I still need to tuck into it. Maybe this is the the jolt I need to to do so. I know that it's uh, it's kicking off before the end of this year, isn't it? I think it's coming yeah. out in uh, December possibly,
1: which uh, which means you need to light a fire under yourself because I really want you to <laughs> I really want you to to read at least the first twelve issues before before this this starts uh because there's some stuff that happens that uh is best experienced via comic book interesting uh, and
2: you can uh, pass it on to me after because it's one of my <laughs> yeah. one of my blind spots too so uh
1: that, and it's i'm interested in, in who they you know with regard to the the art and the story is because it's very very similar to uh to cory cory walker's art in the book they've stuck really close to the to the style so i imagine Corey walker is is heavily involved in there somewhere
0: well Um, i would certainly say with kirkman he's he's got that much pull now not just in the comic world but certainly in the tv world that when they first uh were talking about adapting this he probably said look style needs to be very similar to the comic or else we're not doing it that's probably why they chose a an animated show rather than a a live action one as well you know you can keep it much closer that way so um, but yeah, now that uh, Roddy has you know put lit the fire under me, that I need to pass it on to him next, maybe again. That's the the push I need. Um, but yeah, I look forward to a really cool trailer. And if you haven't seen it, just go to Robert Kirkman's Twitter feed because he has retweeted it about a hundred different times in a hundred different posts. He's quite excited by
1: this. And, uh, and why I not? mean, it's it's worth pointing out that you know, Walking Dead, you know, got all of the got all of the kudos and all of the attention, you know, during its run, but invincible had a run of what 146 issues that ran concurrently with walking dead so kirkman was writing these two books side by side um they finished within a year of each other didn't they yeah very close uh, they're, together Thereabouts, a couple of years of each other so uh yeah it's really uh it's really fantastic stuff i'm really really excited to re-experience it through the animated series
0: yeah and then one other trailer that just dropped uh, literally about 20 minutes before we started recording was for the TV adaptation of Stephen King's The Stand. This is very timely <laughs> in terms of a story. Uh, the Stand, for anybody who doesn't know about it, I mean The Stand was written over 40 years ago, believe it or not, and it is one of Stephen King's A, most celebrated works and B, one of his most dense works. You know, it's a massive tome, so it is, and the plot of it follows a, pan- tell me if this sounds familiar, uh, a worldwide pandemic Although the the key word in his is a weaponized strain of influenza uh, that kills almost the entire world population. This looks big and epic, I have to say. Really cool trailer.
1: Um, To me, uh, The Stand is one of Stephen King's... I mean, if it wasn't for The Dark Tower, which is Stephen King's magnum opus as far as I'm concerned uh the stand is is right up there as as his best uh his best story i mean i I love it it is it's it's, in his other uh 30 seminal works (laughs) yeah absolutely (laughs) but i mean and the trailer looks fabulous the the trailer looks great i mean it is the story is about a, a as you say a weaponized influenza called uh captain trips um which spreads spreads very quickly across the world but it 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 quickly becomes about more than that. It quickly becomes the 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 ultimate battle between good and evil, as 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 people separate into the side of good and the side of evil, and and, and, and what happens there. Uh, the you know under the uh, under the, the the flag of Mother Abigail or Randall Flag, the walking dude. Um, so it's a great it's a great story. Uh, it is as you say very very timely. <laughs> But and and the cast is fabulous. another fabulous cast, Alexander Skarsgård uh, is in there. James Marsden is in there. Whoopi Goldberg, uh, Greg Kinnear, uh, Marlon Manson is in there as well. Um, Ezra Miller, that's who that is. It's the 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 Wimpy Flash. Um, uh, and there's a there's a, there's a few others. But I mean, I this is this is a lot to prove because I'm a huge fan of that. There was a 1994. Uh, four-part miniseries that was a, a really good adaptation of the book and had a, a stellar cast for the time, and so for me they've got a lot to prove, because there's no, there's not a thing wrong with that adaption you know, I don't know if you're familiar with the, the 1994 one no, it's not one I've, I've ever seen so I've read the
2: book um, yeah, but
1: I've, I've
2: never seen that what, What's who who's in that one?
1: Uh, Gary Sinise plays Stu Redman uh, Molly Ringwell plays Franny Goldsmith uh, Rob Lowe is Nick Andros, uh, right. Corinne Nemec's in it, uh, Miguel Ferrer's in it, uh, Ray Walston, Ed Harris, uh, you know. So there's a, a lot of well known actors of the certainly of the time. Um, Matt Freer is in it, who played uh, I suppose uh, Max Hedrum, well known for that. So uh, so yeah, there's uh, Jimmy Sheridan played uh, played Randall Flagg, the walking dude. Uh, to to uh, he did a really good job. So. And uh, yeah, so I'm I'm interested to see I'm interested to see what they, what they do. But certainly the casting of mother, of Whoopi Goldberg as Mother Abigail, and uh, and I think James Marsden Cyclops, uh, yeah, Westworld as as Stu Redmond are fantastic. Jim, um, James Marsden gives me that feeling of the Cyclops
2: feeling where you feel like he's been pushed to the side, so you, you kind of like you have to love him.
1: You know? <laughs> yeah, even as he's even always as, kind of. Yeah, yeah, first even so, Teddy and you know, so Westward, yeah, <laughs> in Westward he plays Teddy, and he's always getting screwed over, like uh, <laughs> you know. But and, uh, and and the new one, Alexander Skarsgard is playing Randall Flag, which is which is pretty awesome as well. Um, so there's, uh, I had a look down the there's a, there's a character in the stand called the Cam Man, uh, who is is uh, a great character, and Matt Freer played him in the original uh, adaption. I don't see his name on the list here but I do see that Marlon Manson doesn't have a character next to his name and I can really imagine Marlon Manson is going to be playing the Trash Cab Man uh, I think Marlon Manson has also done some uh, some uh, covers of some, some well-known songs for the for the show so interesting stuff Inter- I'm, re- I'm looking forward to it but I would highly recommend the 1994 adaption if you can get your hands on it
0: so yeah, so now we're going to talk some comics. So again, we're going to be going over the um, the best titles from the week of the 30th of September. Before we ever jump, uh, as always, before we jump into uh, what our favorite titles were, we always like to sort of have a little breakdown of our titles from that week, the size of the pull list, you know, the ratio of DC to Marvel to Indy, that kind of thing. We did sort of debate a little bit in terms of these totals because I've fallen into a very dangerous trap recently of uh, enjoying... To collect variants, Uh, I blame Alex Ross for his timeless variants. I blame Three Jokers for its endless, (laughs) seemingly endless variants. So if I was to add my variants and top my totals, would be higher. But we'll keep it as the the individual titles, if you will. So for me this week, I had 27 in total. So uh, 11 DC, uh, 5 Marvel, and 11 Indie. So a pretty even split there of Indie and DC uh, with, uh, with a few Marvels thrown in. Uh, what about yourself, Roddy? I, I see you're on double digits this week.
2: Nice. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Breaking into the big time. Um, yeah, it was a stellar week this week. Um, I had 10, just one DC, one Marvel, and I had eight indie, including one pretty stellar graphic novel, too. Um, and these were all books I read. Let's just point it out there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what do you mean, Roddy? We read everything every <laughs> week before we record this. What are you trying to say? Yeah. <laughs> How about yourself, Keith? What were your numbers? Uh,
1: well, I just uh, I just finished my uh, my pull list from last week uh, before we started recording. Uh, I've already picked up my pull list for this week, so I'm looking forward to to digging into that a little later this evening. But uh, from from uh, from the, the the week of uh, of the thirtieth, mm. uh, I had twenty three titles. Five of them DC, ten of them Marvel, and eight of them indie. So, you know, it's kind of my my Marvel and indie are are starting. Indie is starting to, to to go neck and neck. Maybe with the Marvel. In fact, this week it's completely this this week's pull list that's completely overtaken. Uh, my Marvel titles, Roddy, you'd be proud of me.
2: My my work is done. <laughs>
1: hmm. <laughs> well, that's thing. There. There's just
0: such so many great quality indie titles as well. I mean, my. My indie pools every week, I think, are double double digits without feel because I'll always try number one and there's a lot of great miniseries and different things about as well at the moment. So, uh, And and that's reflected even in the fact that once we get to our picks, uh, two of them are indie and the other one's DC. And, and that's not to say there weren't great Marvel titles this week as well, it's just that the indie stuff especially was just of a really, really high quality. Um, but before we get on to the inevitable indie love, which interestingly enough, when I was chatting to Rod and Keith about... Their choices before, I said those two books would make a great back-to-back double bill. So I'm really pleased that these guys enjoyed them as much as I did. But for me, it had to be Three Jokers. We all knew this was the inevitable choice of me this week. I, I must admit, this week there was so much quality. And at one point, I was trying to decide between six books for my pick of the week. But there's just something about three jokers that for me, so three jokers number two, uh, written by Jeff Johns, art by Jason Faybook, and uh, colors by Brad Anderson. There's just something. I mean, there's for me, there's always something special about opening a comic book. It's it's a medium I absolutely adore. But with this, everything just feels really special about it. Everything from the embossed covers to the square binding, to the uh, the interior artwork, to the pacing, to the use of nine-panel structure to the fact that there's no adverts in it the whole way through. I mean, I know that's a little thing, but it's something we've become even more conscious of, I think, in the last few weeks, certainly with Marvel and DC. Indie books are better with it. Indie always put their adverts at the back, but with DC and Marvel, they're always sort of littered through it. But Three Jokers number one was my pick of the week, and then I thought, and I'll look forward to hearing other people's thoughts on this, but for me, this this matched issue one I thought I thought there was tons of interesting stuff in here. I thought it was really really adult storytelling. It did also explore a few, a few ideas that maybe I hadn't seen explored before, which is which is hard to do in Batman these days. And I think part of that is because, uh, I mean, obviously the, the title is called Batman colon Three Jokers. Batman's hardly in this book. You know this this issue is very heavily based on Red Hood, Jason Todd, and Batgirl Barbara Gordon and obviously the uh, the titular three jokers as well. Well, two jokers now I should say. <laughs> yeah. But Batman's barely in this at all, which is which is a really interesting move because usually Batman dominates every book he's in. So it was great to see sort of Jason's horrific past um actually given a bit of room to breathe and and they were exploring that. It's interesting that I mean, the choices of Jason and Barbara for this book alone as the two people who are helping Batman is great because obviously they're two people that have suffered trauma at the hands of the Joker more than most. I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong in this, Keith, but certainly until the recent Joker war that's going on in the main Batman title. Can you ever think of anything iconic or bad that the Joker's ever done to Dick Grayson or Nightwing?
1: uh no i mean he's 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 a, a general all around pain in the arse uh, <laughs> but, you know but do you um, think of the big iconic things yeah he's done, no you know? I absolutely i mean the, yeah. the things the things that i think of of that define the joker as a as a villain are 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 shooting shooting barbara and and uh crippling her and uh and obviously then beating jason todd to, to death or not as the case may be Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, I totally agree with you. Totally agree with you. I mean, what they're exploring here, which I think is really interesting.
0: I mean, Jason Todd is a character who, you know, he's sort of defined by never being first. Like Jason Todd wasn't the first Robin; he was falling in the footsteps of Dick Grayson. Even when he becomes the Red Hood, the Red Hood existed in comics before, and it was actually the Joker was Red Hood. Mm -hmm. So again, even all his personas, he's never the first guy, which means he's always got a massive chip on his shoulder. And he always feels like he's got something to prove. I mean, there's even a great way... I was flicking through it there just before it was started. And there's even just a great way... It's a tiny little moment. But they're basically running down leads to try and find where the Joker is. And they end up in this uh, community pool building. And there's this giant uh, pool which is clearly laden with uh, Joker toxin as well as water. And people are being you know, changed, essentially. But there's this little three-panel part where... Red Hood actually turns up first and he sort of says to himself I can't believe I beat Batman here. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a tiny little moment but it's it's really uh, it's, that's what I'm enjoying in this book, those little details.
1: Yeah, I mean it's very different from uh from the relationship that 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 Dick Grayson and and Bruce Wayne have. You know what I mean? That's a that's a, a relationship based on uh you know, teacher, mentor, mutual respect. The the student has become the master sort of thing. You know what I mean? It's uh, whereas, you know, where as you say, just exactly that, Jason. You know, it's it's competitive. Uh, it's you know, I'll never be good enough. So any one-upmanship I can get is yeah. is all right. You know, um, I I I think you're you're exact. I mean, I love the fact that this focused on on Red Hood and Barbara. Now they're not. Neither of them would be my favorite, or or characters in the Bat Family. Neither of them would be terribly attached to but but i thought this was a great character study of of red hood you know the idea that that as a result of the the post-traumatic stress disorder that he's suffering here as a result of his his death or or mortal injury at the hands of the joker he never feels content or happy unless he's inflicting that pain uh brutally and viscerally on someone else you know those being the criminals that he chooses to hunt you -hmm. know and You know, the fact that the Joker, I love the psychological manipulation here, you know, that just exactly as you said, that the Joker highlights that he's taken the identity of the Red Hood, and that was the Joker's identity, that, you know, effectively the Joker, whoever that person may be, is saying that he wants, he's effectively setting Jason up to become the next Joker. Yeah, which which
0: he clearly needs to do because, you know, spoilers for the end of book one, you know. Jason actually kills one of the three Jokers, so yeah, in a weird yeah. way there's almost a spot has opened up and you know the Joker's yeah. trying to manipulate him saying well clearly you want to fill these shoes and clearly you know you want to just tip yourself into that point of madness and Red Hood's never had a problem killing people you know he's always thought of it as a much he's always thought of Batman as too soft you know you just throw them in the arkham and then yeah, the old it doesn't go, revolving yeah, it doesn't door go. comes out you know um, um
1: I, I thought the uh, you know that 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 shared kiss between jason and barbara something that should never happen then i was like oh wait until dick grayson gets a hold of you jason but uh but uh you know that 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 shared kiss and then the, the aftermath of it where barbara is so worried he's going to think it means something yeah because he is so desperate for to have someone or something or something to, to to pull him back back from the edge. but uh yeah so and the art jesus the art in this book is is phenomenal um it really is there's there's one thing hanging over it for me and i think uh roddy would be quite happy to chat about that uh Mm there's 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 a question that uh that is posed in this title that
2: do you want want me to get into
1: first i really didn't like it
2: sorry (laughs) i
0: here ends this week's podcast
2: um it, it could be my lack of knowledge on the subject you guys talking about it makes it really interesting um I didn't really know what it was. I enjoyed the first one. Um, I just felt like it was really morose and a bit dull because I felt um, like those great. You mentioned really great character moments, and I did. I felt that with uh, Batgirl and Red Hood. Um, I really liked the Joker Red Hood mask thing. I thought that was really cool. Um, there, there's a weird issue, and we got we got into it on the Clay. The clay podcast we were talking about um sort of uh continuity that like it's almost like a dirty word or something isn't it continuity but i don't really know what the book is like at first i was like in the first issue i was like okay cool it's like uh it's like a meditation on like grief through like a batman comic or something right and then this one just it didn't really like I know it's not gonna answer all your questions in two issues, but I almost felt like I'd been bamboozled and just like spending my you know six quid. I was just like, what? What is happening? I do want the like I want the answers, you know, and I don't feel I got enough in this. And they almost kind of want. I feel like they want it to be this. They don't know what they want it to be. Like, do they want it to be this elseworlds cool different title, or do they want it to be this? you know, uh, like continuity, tangling kind of event that spins on into other things, I don't really know. And like, I'm not the biggest DC fan, so obviously like a lot might pass me by, but there was certainly stuff, I thought the stuff in the pool was cool, but it went on for ages. Um, and then there wasn't a lot of, I think um, Batman really annoyed me in this book because he only seemed to exist to just tell people off. <laughs> I just, you know, like bounce off people. He was like, "Oh yeah, do this or something." He didn't really offer anything, but maybe that is his character in this—is to, to bounce off uh, Barbara and Jason, you know. So I don't I mean, know. I didn't really
1: like it. I, I'm I'm here for the question. I I want to know why there's three jokers. I I swear, if it turns out that there's one joker and the three of them are just seeing the one joker three different ways, I'm going to burn something down. <laughs> You've been Black getting Label very, <laughs> you've been getting very violent
0: recently, Mr. Miller, I tell you.
1: <laughs> it's getting... because I, have, I haven't had a chance to train in karate in six months.
0: <laughs> Got all this fury you just need to let out. I mean, yeah. no, I understand what you're saying to a degree. I mean, for me, obviously, being a huge Batman fan and all the rest, continuity, yeah, it's such a weird thing. And we, we did get into it. It's definitely worth listening to Clay's take on it as well. For me, this is part of a trilogy, which I kind of find, you know, there's a nice symmetry to that being it's called Three Jokers. This is a, a trilogy of The Killing Joke, A Death in the Family, and this. All you need to know going into this book is is learned in those first two books. So, uh, Killing Joke was all about how the Joker terrorized Gordon and, you know, crippled Barbara, and then how she came back from that. Death in the Family was about the, the, the death of Jason Todd. So, for me, it's part of a trilogy. I, I don't need this to connect nice and neatly and you know, fall perfectly into place in the Batman mythos because, Mm -hmm. you know, you have 80 years' worth of stories. There's going to be overlapping all the time. There's going to be contradictory things Mm -hmm. all the time. I'm just interested in in great stories. And for me, that's what this has been so far. And I really like the idea of Batman being this, you know, just militant man of few words. I mean, if you think about it, there's this great scene as well towards the end where he's sitting in the Batcave. And this is just after the the Barbara-Jason kiss. Which, by the way, when I saw in the bottom right-hand corner of one page, I'll not lie, I sort of went, oh God, it's not going in this direction, is it? And then instantly the, you turn the page, it's like, nope, we shouldn't have done that. I thought, thank Christ for that. Dick would not be happy. But yeah. but there's this really great scene, Batman, of course, brooding, because that's what Batman does. But there, he's brooding at the back computer, and you see in these glass-encased cells is uh, Batgirl's outfit and a Robin outfit. And the Robin outfit is from when Jason Todd was beaten to death. And the Barbara outfit was what she used to wear before she got crippled. So they're constant reminders of his failure to protect the people that were so close to him. And he keeps them close. And I think that's why he's so detached a character in this. Because he feels like, even though he's got these two characters by his side, he has failed them both. You know, Barbara oh. would have never been crippled if he hadn't been there. Jason, he was just that second too late before the building exploded and, uh in death in the family so i think yeah. we're going to get more batman stuff in number three i will agree to a point that jeff johns has left himself a lot of story to cover in one issue you know i i know there's the symmetry of three and three jokers and three issues i wish this was six issues it would have a bit more room to breathe I, yeah you know
2: man do you know what i felt it should have been i don't know what the what the crack is but i think it should have been it's like a prestige miniseries and i think this is like, I didn't mean to slag it off, but I think it's, like... It feels like there could be way more to this. But I think there's some... They've came to some sort of, you know...
0: Compromise.
2: Compromise with it, yeah. They've came to some sort of compromise with it. Like, it, it probably should be, you know... like, <laughs> you that, know, like that? <laughs> Do you know, like, The Batman Who Laughs? There was, like, six, eight... Well, seven issues, you know? Or, like, Doomsday Clock was 12. I think they should have... To me... Because of the continuity thing, and because I'm not a long-term fan, it's like there's no stakes uh-huh. to it. Yeah, so it's hard. Like it's hard to invest in the story for myself And I don't know. If that's true of other people because I know it's like I'm probably in the minority because it's doing like crazy numbers. But yeah, it's interesting to me. I thought I wasn't too sure about this one though.
1: I wonder. Uh, I wonder. Is the compromise that came to Jeff Johns going? I want to write this book, can I have 12 issues? And they went, Jeff, the last time we gave you 12 (laughs) issues, you really fucked it up. (laughs) (laughs) So you're only getting three. (laughs) And you need to have them all written before we release the thing.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I, I will say I I do have faith in them to end it well. You know, this is a book five years in the making ever since, you know, Dark Side War. And then with the rebirth, this was the cornerstone with the idea of three Jokers being reminded and so forth. So so I have full faith that it'll end well. But I know what you mean, Roddy. It's it's also if you think about it this is this is so true of so many many things in pop culture when you have a trilogy the middle is always the hardest because you don't have that excitement of something new at the start with the first part you're not going to get any big conclusions because it's not the end so its job is just that middle part is always just to keep the story ticking over and i think that's true of, of so many things you know but I mean, for me, it's it's done everything I wanted it to be. It's it's grown up. It's serious. It, it looks beautiful. It's exploring some really interesting ideas. I mean, I haven't even touched on the fact that the first four pages are dominated by one of the Jokers having a daydream. And even in his daydream as a married man with a kid, his wife and kid are so afraid of him. They don't even want to see him. And it, it then cuts to him in a warehouse with like these stuffed dolls around him. And he's just like, do you mind? I was having dinner, you know, because one of the other ones interrupts him. So, um, I don't know, I there think was, ton de, tons they unpack here, I think.
1: I, I, I do agree with you on, I mean, and I would say uh, that I'm invested as well, but but I do want to see that, that question answered in a satisfactory, oh, a satisfactory way. Yeah. But there's a lot of tragedy in here as well, not just on the hero's side. Uh, that scene where, you know, the the, uh, the criminal, you know, the mastermind, the first Joker, the original so uh that scene where he has Jason Todd tied up and he starts laughing and he he starts laughing hysterically and then he starts crying when he's laughing and he's like Jason Todd, what the hell's wrong with you? And he says, I'll let you in on a secret about the Joker boy. It hurts when I laugh. I just thought that is chilling. Yeah. That is chilling. Uh there was something about that. And then uh, you know, the scene where the where the Joker is is beating Jason Todd with a crowbar again, you know, and he has the, the the, the the smile painted onto the Red Hood's mask and then he, he smashes the mask open, you know, it's the same way as I guess he smashed his skull open previously. Um uh, there's a lot there's a lot of good stuff in here, a lot of good stuff. I mean I I definitely I definitely enjoyed it. I definitely enjoyed it. I just uh, I'm just waiting to see and that's that's what I'm here for is the is the answer to the question, you know. But I'm really enjoying I'm really enjoying the ride.
0: Well it's even really interesting as well, as you say. Like you, you look at because he's been given the number one, you know, the criminal. You look at him as the original Joker. But when the, um, the the comedian is actually beating Jason Todd, he says, you know, this really is more fun than it was the first time. Which makes you then say, well, he was obviously the one that killed Jason Todd in Death in the Family. Because he's the one that carried that out before. So is the comedian the original or, or, um Sorry, not the comedian, the uh, the criminal, is he the original Joker? So there's just loads of stuff to unpack here. I think it'll really be rewarded by repeat readings. I think Jeff Johns really understands DC and Batman history. And yeah, I think as you say, the the main thing is because we're two issues in now, we we're looking for some answers and
1: hopefully with mm. issue three and, we get that. Yeah, and, and I mean the question the question that I asked you, Alan, is there's a there's a joker that appears at the end who has he has kidnapped Joe Chill. And in the page before, we see Batman looking at the criminal, looking at the clown, looking at the comedian. We know that the the clown is now dead, uh, at at the hands of Red Hood. But there's another Joker appears, uh, and uh, I'm not sure if that is the clown again or if that is another Joker. I think it, sta-
0: you know. I think it might be the comedian, but there there's enough ambiguity there. The only reason I think it might be him is because he has this very specific way of tying like a it's almost like a bow tie like a cravat type thing and if you look just below his hand where he's recording you can see that so but there was also there was a little link in the first one i think three of them were talking um there was some speech coming from off panel so there might Mm -hmm. be a fourth one i don't know right okay but yeah they're throwing some interesting stuff in here as well with joe chill and you know that kind of thing the only criticism i will throw at this and it's it's a criticism that i throw at all the batman live action movies and tv shows and everything is
2: let
0: it go i do not need to see the Waynes being killed again
2: sorrow <sighs> <sighs> didn't that what what did i bring that up in last time was that the wasn't the first three jokers <laughs> did i bring that <laughs> i just do not a, i don't yeah. need it oh we, but the bullet and the blood and the pearls
0: <laughs> but but even then in saying that well, just, just as i say you don't need to see that again it does make
2: sense here i, I yeah, do I'll, like i'll give him
0: that well i do like just as i was saying about good character moments you know he's obviously remembering his parents being shot as he's standing outside of joe chill's cell and then the the speech is like you know who and he's obviously speaking quietly and yeah, then yeah. the next panel is mm-hmm,
1: you know who i am you know so even that i love but, that yeah uh, batman with a frog in his throat because yeah. he's he's <laughs> nervous uh, 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 you know about a, a guy a normal guy you know it's it's kind of class i enjoyed that as well yeah. i have to say you know so yeah. uh, tons, very, of great, tons
0: of great moments really enjoyed the issue art again yeah. just as a as a cut above so for yeah, me batman anyway so it's pick awesome. of the week but so that's mm-hmm. uh batman 3 jokers number two jeff johns jason Fabek, and brad anderson i say it's pick mm-hmm. of the week but both of your choices i could have easily went with for pick of the week also mm-hmm. so uh why don't you take it away roddy with uh, your favorite title this week
2: well speaking of batman we have the current writer of batman with a brand new number one from image comics called the department of truth which is a book that uh, we talked about on our previous podcast um, a couple of months back i think it was can't remember whose pick it was i think it was alan's maybe
0: possibly yeah just off the back of the the classic follow the creator
2: oh yeah and this is follow follow everyone on this book basically um so the department of truth is written by james tinney in the fourth and as discussed he is the current writer on batman writer of the woods previously for boom studios also done justice league dark up until recently plus many many more um as we're talking he currently has the department of truth makes it his fourth comic book currently That would be on the racks in any store in the world. So he's got Department of Truth number one. He's also got whatever Batman issue is out. He's also got 100. Yeah. He's also got the ongoing series Something is Killing the Children for Boom Studios. And he's also got his mini series Wind for Boom Studios. Like, that is a hell of a run to have four books. He must. I think that just makes him like the king of comics at the moment um he's writing the most prestigious dc character and he's got like all these great he's got a prestige image series and he's also working for boom which is like the hottest company in comics um and then we've got martin simmons on art and he's the co-creator of dying is easy with joe hill that was for idw Punk's Not Dead with David Barnett. That was Black Crown, IEW2. He's also done work for Vaults and loads of other stuff, too. Loads of indie stuff in the
1: UK. And then we've got Adi. uh, uh, Sorry, Roddy. He's also been on uh, Immortal Hulk, Martin Simmons, I believe. uh, Really? Yeah, he's been on Immortal Hulk uh, with al Yun and Joe Bennett. And he did some covers for some Quicksilver stuff back in the day um, for No Surrender um he's done a bit of i think he was involved in jessica jones as well
2: awesome um and then yeah then we've got Ad, aditya bidikar who's a letterer from india and we've kind of i've been kind of following his stuff uh from these savage shores verses, which was an image series that uh didn't get a lot of love bloodborne and then he did a uh, little bird as well um yeah this this book was astounding to be honest um it was, like, um, to explain the story briefly, um, the Department of Truth, if enough people believe in an idea, it can rewrite reality. Um, this is a new series from Amish Comics, which follows government agents who are tasked with preventing the most dangerous conspiracy theories from becoming real. Uh, so we'll get to, like, a deeper dive in the story in a wee minute. but. Um, yeah this book for me i don't know about you guys but this is why i like i adore comic books um the creativity originality and like the sheer like creative vision they had for it was like brilliant i love um i love how you can look in the stands sometimes and you can just find something that's new and unique um certainly with films i can i get a wee bit of like remake rerun reboot fatigue and all that um, so it's great to see comics. Comics to me have like the most u- unique and ri- original ideas. And it kind of reminds me, my brother used to take me to the kft when I was like 16, 17. And we just go see anything because we're like, I was just getting into films. And it was just, you're going to see something because you're going to see a cool film. You didn't know anything about it and you came out of it absolutely in love. It was that like, feeling of discovering something new and that that's kind of what i felt about this book like i knew who it was i knew i knew the the synopsis and i knew the creators but to, to just pick it up and uh, to read it it was it was class it was unreal um and it felt like to me it was like they had this vision that they just unleashed on you and it felt relevant and it felt it was something that was really relevant to today's culture and to what we're going through. But obviously it wasn't, wasn't preachy at the same time, but it was, it was told through science fiction and that, that to me is like the twilight zone and everything politics and all that sort of stuff is more manageable, maybe for some people when it's through that uh, like science fiction lens, Um, I love this. Yeah. So we start off with uh, Dallas, Texas, November, 22nd 1963 and it's sort of uh this is a, your pre-credits stinger and it's uh an fbi agent talking to a man called lee who you should know and he's asking did you shoot the president were you in the building at that time and all he asks him all these questions and then it's sort of like this create this interview that keeps going and going and he's like and not he lee says i'm not not the person they all think i'm not in on this and then it it goes and goes and it spirals and then the interviewer gets him to say say it so i know you know the truth and then lee says up is down and down is up mm-hmm. and whoa like that that is an x-files level uh introduction to the world you're just thrown into this world and martin simmons uh art is absolutely astounding and this the the first part is actually it feels very different to what's to come oh. i guess. so tell me what did you guys think before we can go into the story a wee bit but uh
1: if you haven't picked this as your pick of the week it was going to be mine roddy uh this this was phenomenal uh this was neck and neck for me with with my pick of the week, and as Alan rightly said, and, and and I did say to us both before we read it that they're lovely sort of companion pieces in a way. But I just I mean this the art, uh Martin Simmons art isn't to my taste. It is the opposite of of clean lines. You know, it's the opposite of what I <laughs> stereotypically enjoy. Uh you know, but it works so well for this. It's so beautiful. It's a wee bit dreamlike. It's a wee bit hard to, hard to grasp a hold of, which just works fantastically for a book that is all about conspiracy theories. Um, I thought I was absolutely, uh, absorbed from start to finish. I mean, just saw the date, November 22nd, 1963. I was like, Oh, it's a Kennedy murder. Right. Let's, uh, the assassination, you know, and that whole idea, they're, they're, they're taking me in because of the fact I lived in the Soviet Union. I'm just a patsy, uh, you know, and then, as you rightly said, that you know the, the police are dismissed as the men in black walk in, uh, and uh, and just exactly who they are. Uh, the, I mean, as as you say, we're going to get into the story a wee bit, but this is this is a book for for our time, for our this is this is the zeitgeist right now, uh, and the but politically it's very important, you know, with regard to how we understand each other it's very important because it addresses the the rise of uh the cosmic right you know the 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 it's funny i had a conversation with a friend of mine about this earlier on you know this whole QAnon nonsense and you know trump being a great uh, leader in the hand of god who is defeating all of the they had a the, 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 there was a there was a one of those right-wing rallies the other day that had David Icke as the speaker, David Icke, who believes that the world is ruled by people and lizards and people costumes. You know what I mean? It's it's so it's absolutely spot on it. The stuff that fells that, that, that spins out of all this, you know, fake news BS, you know, where you, where people are so scared of facing reality that they would much rather look at a, at a, at a, at a made up story and create the, 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 scaffolding to believe that rather than face fact you know, and face, face reality. And the fact that something might have to be done, but, but uh, you know, so down is up and up is down. Like to me, that's, <laughs> that's today, you know, and, and uh, there was a quote not so long ago that I heard that more or less says, if we can no longer as a, as a, as a people, agree on what the truth is then we no longer have a language we no longer have a common language and we are absolutely screwed you yeah, know what no, i mean it's about that normal. polarization so so that's yeah and of, oh, sorry no
2: sorry, go ahead, you know, that's, that's kind of what i was that's what i was thinking it was um your truth obviously with the internet is completely unique to yourself now there's no um universal truth or the truth was always what's between you and another person now but it's the truth is distorting to whatever people want you to see and the information you want to give
1: give whatever's on almost. your
2: whatever's on and, your individualized uh, newsfeed. Yeah, yeah and um i found it i found it really interesting i was reading this uh, article sort of interviewing tinian and he said this came out of the Obviously, it's not much of a surprise, but it came out of the 2016 presidential election. Of course. yeah, Of course. And he was like, uh, once once he began considering history through the lens of who wants to believe what, um, he started seeing the conspiracy theories as weird byproducts of that. And then he said, this is like, he says about conspiracy theories are a testament to the creativity of the human mind, which is really interesting as well. And humans' ability to rationalize away things we don't like, um, but obviously he says they're also wildly dangerous. And then he says we're telling a story about the relationship between power and information, which I
1: really, I really thought was interesting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean that, you know, that uh, what I've heard said is as two thousand and sixteen was 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 the point at which we started living in a in a post truth world. You know, which is a really frightening statement. You know, and uh, but I think this, yeah, this just this just addresses that. You know, the 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 central conceit, I guess, is about flat Earth, the flat Earth <laughs> conspiracy and all that nonsense. Uh, and I'll say it again, nonsense. <laughs> well, if you believe it enough, <laughs> well, um, and that's that's exactly what this is. That's exactly what this book is saying. You know, if enough people believe it then it becomes the truth, and that is scary. Alan, what's your thoughts?
0: And here ends Keith's political corner. (laughs) This political (laughs) broadcast was sponsored by Coffee and Heroes. Uh, Yeah, I mean, as as a first issue, I... This was a weird one for me, because when it comes to indie books, obviously we preach indie books all the time, we push indie books all the time. Comics can be so much more than just superheroes punching each other in the face. They can, you know, make Proper comments on society, they can make you think. And with Department of Truth, the pre orders were strong. But I thought to myself, this is really gonna hit it this is really gonna hit a nerve with people, I think, this title. And normally I'll order in like five extra titles, you know, five extra number ones, say, for the racks. With this I ordered fifteen. And, you know, which doesn't sound like a lot, but for a store like ours, that is a lot. That's like a gamble almost. And it came out on the Wednesday, it was sold out by twelve o'clock on the Thursday. It was it was just gone. And this is a title that it appeals to the X-Files fans in us. It appeals to, you know, the conspiracy fans in us. It's it's just a great book. And it's I've never seen a cover deliver what is inside as well as this. Like the cover <laughs> is great. You know, you've got that mirror image of, you know, JFK with his eyes scored out, but then the sort of clean one is upside down. You're talking about Roddy, you know, up is down, down is up, you know, it's it, it fits that symbolism perfectly. But it's just, it's a great mystery book as well. You know, it it gives you enough details that are relevant to the current world, but it introduces enough mysteries. You know, who's the woman in red, for example? What is that I'm looking at outside the window? Um, Just just a great, great title. I mean, I'll be honest, the art in the first page or two, just as Keith was talking about, you know, clean lines and all that kind of stuff. Even though I really enjoyed Dying is Easy because I did read it. It uh, It was written by Joe Hill and then martin simmons was on the art it took me a couple of pages to get into the art in this but then see once you hit that double page spread chapter one yeah, the end of the world, yeah, yeah that's yeah. where i went right i'm all in
2: you and know i was the same i think that that first uh that first couple of pages they were deliberately i
1: feel it's like deliberately messy yeah it is just it to is. kind of play with you uh you know what it reminded me of the last book that we read that that was reminiscent of this or not the same but reminiscent was uh strange skies over berlin
2: yeah oh yeah yeah, oh, yeah.
1: there's there's <laughs> definitely a and you know there's there's that same paranoia in that book as there is in this but uh do you yeah uh, do you want to do you want to get into the yes, story we'll, roddy? Jump,
2: we'll jump into it
1: yeah um
2: well i mean
0: just just uh, very quickly just before you do roddy just because that opened it up at that chapter one end of the world that double page spread perfectly encapsulates what you guys were talking about and what the, the the crux of this story is. If you look at that double page spread, so you've got you know Capitol Hill in the middle. This is obviously Washington D.C. If you look at that picture as it's a sort of nice sunset, you know politics is alive and well. The country's in safe hands. You can interpret that double page as that. You can also look at it as it's on fire. And it's the complete opposite, you know. It's just a beautiful double page spread with those two meanings, and it's all about what you believe for your you interpretation. Say,
2: you have to say his coloring
1: too is absolutely phenomenal. Oh, vital, gonna...
0: vital to the success of the book. Uh,
1: yeah. Just whenever I'm looking at it, actually, now you, you drew attention to it. It's actually also looks like the uh, the Masonic symbol, uh, the with a, the, the set square, the cross set square. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Um, cool yeah um
2: so i also think um we did discuss all that but at the same time it's super entertaining as well oh yeah um it's so we're introduced to uh cole turner who's an fbi agent and he's basically been transported to this facility and he he sort of he teaches at a university about Meme culture almost And conspiracy theories Especially those online alt-right communities Um, And then Through various circumstances He gets himself He gets uh, involved with He goes to One of those The Flat Earth Convention Isn't it? And he he gets He basically He draws the ire of the, um, the Department of Truth And basically it goes on and he believes he is going to be killed at this point because he believes the feds are onto him about something else and but he soon finds out that um the department of truth wants him and he they're trying to trying to stop those that would create those delusions on such a grand scale to alter reality itself and uh Cole is basically our our eyes through which we see all this absolutely
1: crazy stuff. I don't think yeah,
2: I was gonna get into
1: the story, but I don't know. There's Yeah, I don't know if you need to. I don't know. No, you now you put it like that, Roddy, I don't know if you need to. I mean it's uh the structure is fantastic. We we, we start at the end and then, you know, the actual story itself is a as a flashback. Um you know, as he is as he is interviewed by by the man. The white-haired man who definitely bears a resemblance to the cigarette-smoking man from the X Files. Oh, that's uh, definitely intentional. When yeah, they first yeah, introduce de- yeah. him,
0: he's even got a cigarette in his
1: hand. You know, yeah, Have yeah. You, and it, yeah the the wispy
2: it. smoke, they, like, yeah, goes uh, across the page. Yeah.
1: But uh, you know, he's he's interviewed, Cole's interviewed by these people, as you say, Roddy, right the way through. He thinks he's going to be executed at the end of it here, and he tells the story of, of, of visiting the the anti-vaxxer or the anti-vaxxer, the flat Earth conference. Um, that's a different kind of knot case. Sorry. Um, Freudian so, slip. There, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so and uh, he ends up deeper than he than he thought he was going to be, and, and and discovering this this idea that uh, just as you said, the core concept, that the core conceit, that if enough people believe a thing, it, it will become the truth, and will, all, will always have been the truth. Um, but you know, I just I just love that you know. Well, that realization, obviously, that he's not there—he's not there to be executed; he's there to be recruited. But uh, I just loved that last uh, that last couple of pages there. Those were those were stunning. Um,
2: yeah,
1: you know, yeah. It,
2: you owe it to yourself to just um, pick it up and read it without it being spoiled. We do talk yeah. spoilers, I know, but um, yeah, oh, it's so good.
1: It is it's <laughs> also, excellent.
2: I would want to shout out uh, Aditya Bidercar as well because the. The way the lettering goes it's absolutely phenomenal it never seems to overpower anything and it's really beautifully placed but it also there's it changes up and it's not like your traditional uh lettering panels it's not bubbles it's um it'll tend to be it might be a square shape it might be a hex hexagon it the it's an actual shape. It's not a bubble. I thought it was uh-huh, really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Then it goes, then it'll change to like scratchy lettering uh, for different things. And then in the flashback, it's almost like a, it's um, lower. It's like pretty much all lowercase writing. Um, yeah. I It's like a stunning book. It just absolutely blew my mind and it changes art style like loads of times as well. Like yeah, does, yeah. colors change. Um, so like it reminded me of, kind of threw everything all at once and then just came out to be this wholly unique book. Um, reminded me of like those seventies, you know, paranoid thrillers, but then it's through this lens of the X-Files and our, like our modern society. So I, I can't wait to follow this. I'm sure it's going to
1: be one of those. I really do
2: hope it's going to be a classic
1: for the future. Mm, yeah. It's made me, it's made me wondering, <laughs> you know, if, uh, if the X-Files was broadcast today, how that would have gone. <laughs> Just, You know, how many people would be would be taking this as truth? It's absolute. Yeah, down is up and up is down, boys.
0: Yeah, well, second printings are on the way. You know, it's been a big sales success. I think it's really struck a nerve with a lot of people, the quality of the title. I mean, for me, it's summed up on the second last page. And this is not throwing spoilers of any kind out there, because as Roddy says... Although we sort of do deal in spoilers in this podcast, we do like to leave things for you to discover yourself. But just as the man who was interviewing Cole throughout it, there's these three panels where he just goes, wait, I have questions. I wouldn't wouldn't want you if you didn't have questions. There will be time for all that. Who was the woman in red with no eyes? Why do they think Ruby worked for something called Black Hat? Son, you know damn well each of those questions will lead to more questions and more questions (laughs) after that. At least yeah. wait we until we're paying you for God's sake.
2: Was he talking <laughs> about the three jokers there, or? <laughs> it all
1: links together. It all links together.
2: Yeah. What a what a last page too.
1: Yeah, so unbelievable. What? But let's set about that. Leave that. Leave that for uh, for uh, yeah. Whenever there's second printing comes in, I must uh, I must grab a copy of this from my from my friend Dave up at home. Yeah. Uh, I think he's, got, he's really going to appreciate this. Um, it also
2: had some
1: unreal variant covers too, didn't it?
0: Yeah, unfortunately the nicest of them all was a 1 to 100. Um, oh, what was that one? Yeah, so Timmy and James Tinian put this out saying, oh guys, here's a, a great variant cover that links to my other work and it was uh, a recreation of Something is Killing the Children, number one. Uh, yeah, yeah. But yeah, in the so place hard. of Something is Killing the Children it said The Department of Truth and the character wasn't Erica Slaughter, it was the woman in red. And mm-hmm. he put this up. He didn't say it was a, a, a variant. Uh, sorry, uh, a ratio variant. He just said it was a variant. Here's the diamond code. So I ordered 15 of them because I was like, this is class. This this will really sell and people will want it. And then I just saw my next invoice cancelled. 15 copies of Department of Truth 1 to 100 variant. So oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, I wasn't able to get that unfortunately. But yeah, great, great title. As I say, it was sold out really quickly. Second prints ordered and on the way. So don't sleep in this, guys. This is. You know, we, we, we tried to tell you something that's killing the children. We we'll tried to tell you a once in future. Just get on this at the start because it is, it is wonderful. So it is. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So that is Department of Truth. That's Roddy's pick of the week. James the fourth and Martin Simmons. So why don't you close out the week then for us, Keith, with your choice of the week?
1: Uh, well, as I say, you know, Roddy, Roddy put me p- to the post there with Department of Truth and uh, I, I did really, really enjoy this book. But uh, my choice was equally as uh, as uh, passion-inducing, equally as as well put together, um, but it's not a number one. It's a, it's a number eight of an ongoing series, Philadelphia uh, Number Eight uh, by Rodney Barnes, uh, art by Jason Sean Alexander, colors by uh, Lewis NCT. Um, so we've we've talked about this book before. Um, it's now entered its second arc this is the second issue of its second arc the first arc was was six issues so what we've got here is the the city of philadelphia has now settled down into and i hate to use the term but i'm going to into a new normal uh after the uh after the death of uh, of john adams the uh the former uh president of the united states of america who was uh who was a vampire who was He'd sired all these vampires and was ready to was ready to to uh, instigate a new ideology on America based on on what he thought as a as one of the the, the original presidents of the USA that, that that America should be. There's a there's a, there's a special ops team in the city including uh, Jimmy Sangster Jr. and uh, and Jose. Uh, Jimmy Sangster being the the son of the father son team from the the previous arc and Jose being. Uh, jimmy sangster senior's former partner now jimmy sangster junior's uh partner and lover so john adams the former president may be dead but his wife abigail still lives and has taken command of the vampires and in all sorts of ways abigail is much more dangerous than john adams ever was uh, she she isn't leavened by his uh moral stances uh you know and and that sort of thing and She's got her own plans in place for the city involving uh, the vampire Jupiter, who is a former slave of Thomas Jefferson. Uh, and he's using his pent-up rage that he's harbored after lifetimes of, of, uh, of slavery and, and to, to kill with absolute brutality. And the, the, the arc started with the mayor of the city being killed brutally. Uh, we know by Abigail's uh, cult and uh, Jimmy and Jose realizing that their, that their problems with vampires are, are not finished. You know, they, they're going to continue. So it, uh, it, it's, so that, that's sort of where, where Philadelphia leaves off just to put you in the p- picture of, 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 of what's happening in this arc. Um, and the interesting thing is we thought, uh, we thought Jimmy Sangster senior was finished. Uh, And I was so glad this issue to find out that he is not. (laughs) Um, And it starts off, it starts off, you know, at the end of the arc, they put him back in his coffin and, and uh, to rest, you know, to effectively be removed from the story. And I love, I love that father son relationship, Mm -hmm. you know, despite the fact the father is now he's, he's the great detective. Uh, His, his son never could live up to that, you know, and, and through this story, he has lived up to it. Not only that, but the father's now a vampire. You know uh, but but they've, they've put him to his final rest and so it's interesting that this opens with uh, sangster senior in his coffin you know <clears throat> he's contemplating death he's he's he's, he's looking back on, on some of his actions during the the original Philadelphia arc you know and and the, John Adams and all of that sort of stuff and he's he's definitely he's definitely feeling he's at the end of his journey he's looking forward hopefully to seeing his wife and um, you know so the, the the story and this issue is divided between you know uh, Jimmy and, and Jose Jimmy Jimmy Jr. Jimmy Sangster Jr and and Jose as part of the special ops team investigating the death of the mayor and what's going on and and all of that uh, and and so forth and then the other half of the book is about Sangster senior as he goes to uh, you know, as he as he journeys through, uh, you know, through through the afterlife, uh, meeting the boat and uh, Charon the ferryman, uh, as he journeys to his, his his final end, apparently. And it just, I just, I I thought this was fantastic. Now, the reason uh, that that Alan had had rightfully said that these two made a great pair was. During the uh, during the the scenes you know with Jimmy sangster jr. investigating the mayor's death there's a, there's a team of FBI agents that turn up um, and uh, <laughs> as soon very as I familiar. saw yeah they look very very familiar and we mentioned the uh, the cigarette smoking man in x uh, X files there in, uh, in in the Department of Truth but the two the two agents uh, look very very familiar, uh, very very reminiscent of uh, Mulder and Scully from the X Files, and then it goes a little further, and you realise that uh, that their uh, their chief uh, looks an awful lot like uh, looks an awful lot like um, Walter Skinner. Walter Skinner from uh, from from the the X Files as well, and in fact his name is Walt uh yes mm-hmm. so it just is is absolutely uh, an absolutely fantastic companion piece to the department of truth but um what what did you guys think
0: yeah i mean for me this was as much as I enjoyed department of truth this just edged it for me between those two and i mean by the finest of margins because they're both at the absolute peak of this week but there's just there's such depth to this book you know that If you try to explain Philadelphia to people, it it sort of comes across as just another vampire story. But this is so much more than that. You know, having Sangster Senior in this, again, I agree, is a wonderful thing. Because although he was ultimately the undead, you sort of thought his story had been put to rest. Because the first arc was called Sins of the Father. So you sort of thought he had got his redemption and he could move on. But the fact that they then jumped into the afterlife to show his journey continuing and you know being reunited with his wife and just the main thing that stood out to me in this book as well as the storytelling being great the colors are unbelievably gorgeous um especially when you get to that part where he he is reunited with his wife and you have these beautiful sort of (laughs) flower-laden meadows they're walking through and stuff yeah yeah and it's it's just absolutely wonderful um i mean jumping on your x-files part at the start as well i mean the character Walt even says they head up a special division at the bureau, and they've just about seen everything there is to see. You know, I'm really hoping that this could actually go one step further, and there <laughs> might be a team up by issue ten. Uh,
1: uh, who, uh, <laughs> who owns the, uh, the 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 comic book uh, rights to uh, X Files? I mean, X Files. IDW,
0: yeah, IDW's X Files, um, but it wouldn't surprise me if they ultimately end up in Disney's hands and therefore Marvel because. 20th century fox was who did the x-files and
2: fox, fox is now owned, fox fox owned by disney so <laughs> like, like I, everything i loved, I loved it. did he not say something like i, I got this don't worry yeah exactly, yeah thanks yeah. but i've got it
0: these guys can't um, handle this you know
2: it keeps um i thought this was the best issue of Philadelphia so far um was shout out to it was Louis Louis NCT who does the yeah, colors. Yeah, yeah. He got to, you know, he got to do the Lord's work on this one. He got um, that beautiful, the beautiful Philadelphia style, which, you know, we're used to at the at the moment. The those beautiful yellows and blood reds and all that sort of stuff, and that faded skin color. Um, and all that stuff you're sort of used to, but then he got to do the the Hades stuff as well with that mm. like molten you know
1: river lava yeah, color yeah, thing. Charon's river, and even the you know the the visuals on the on Charon's boat. Yeah, uh, like the awesome. upside down skull. And I thought you know whenever they're they're going through that, you know he sees hell, and hell as a I just thought it was really interesting that you know he's going across the lake and he sees, you know he sees effectively what is what is hell you know it, it's a city on fire and i just think that's really interesting given what's going on in the states at the minute you know especially that you know you know with the the the, the black lives matter stuff and and, uh, and and some of the cities is it, is it baltimore is in pro- no it's not baltimore i can't remember where it is it's that's currently experiencing all the you know that no, seen, yeah i've seen some videos from there and it more of uh, the city seems to be on fire um you know, but uh so that's kinda that's interesting, interesting comment there. But I also think it's cool as he's as he's been taken across this lake. Portland. You know, Portland. Portland, sorry. yeah, sorry, yeah, not Baltimore, Portland. Um as he's taken across this lake, you see Mayor Gaskins, who is the the mayor, the death of the mayor is being investigated by the son, Jimmy Jr. Um and of course Jimmy Sr. doesn't know because he was put in his grave again before this all <laughs> happened. So he's like, Mayor Gaskins and Mayor Gaskins is is standing like a torch in the lake of fire permanently on fire. Uh, it's uh, it's so good but then you know the back and forth and that's counterpointed with uh, with Abigail's plan which is to you know they're talking about celebrity talking about uh, you know celebrity worship you know and, and and how celebrities are exalted so what they're going to do is take one of the celebrities down you know looks like a a, a singer down in front of this crowd of tens of thousands, and it's absolutely brutal our Jupiter just jumps in and just <laughs> tears his throat out. You know, it's incredible. But, but then that counterpointed that against Jimmy Senior has been this hard ass. You know what I mean? He's and him being such it's a hard fun. ass and being the great detective is what drove a, a, a what drove a stake between him and us. It was well, really, uh, really strange something. because it um, like humanized him. Through, through his, his death, it, bizarrely, it, 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 yeah, I did it. Uh, um, You know, the the point, of course, is that is that Charon takes him to his wife Gloria, who's passed away a long time ago, and I guess that's part of the reason that that, that Jimmy Junior and Jimmy Senior don't get on. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but you know, he's he's got t- his tears are, are, are tripping him like tears are coming down his face, and and to just I, I was I was moved by him meeting his wife again, despite the fact. We've never seen his wife before, you know, just through, through the emotion that's that's perpetrated through the, the page, and just seeing this, this hard man, this this man who couldn't love his son, you know, just a total. As you, I just think that that analogy you just made, Roddy, was fantastic. That through his death, he's humanized. Uh, yeah. that that's beautiful. That is why you're the writer among us, sir. Uh, <laughs> you know, but, I retire uh, from the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but, all uh, downhill you know, from here. Just that, uh, <laughs> just that, that that moment, knowing whenever you know that he's not going to be able to stay with her because his job isn't done yet. what's, you know? uh,
2: what's one of the first questions she asks him? He's like, Hi How, how's Jimmy?" or something.
1: Yeah, but yeah. I thought, I, that, I thought that was really good. Yeah, after after you left, he hurt. We both did, but it got better. You know, it didn't get better till after he died. You know, became a vampire. Um, you know, he's a detective now. I'm proud of him. You know, but but just that that real. You know, she realizes that he's not going to be able to stay. He doesn't realize, and 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 just again that last page. Oh, it <laughs> is amazing. Oh, oh it's so funny. <laughs> you know, he's he's uh, you know, you 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 see him drawn away from his wife. You know, from this heaven that he wants to spend eternity in, you know, and, you know, the, the flash of light and the, the, his, the coffin being opened and Jimmy Sangster Jr. standing over the coffin, his father in the coffin, you know, hands crossed across his chest going, this better be really fucking important. I <laughs> just thought that was pure yes. class. Probably one of the
2: greatest like visual gags in comics I've ever seen. It's just, yeah. it's just the way his eyes are opened, just like wide open. Just brilliant, brilliant stuff. Mm. And it's like the way they straddle this. Um, they have about five different genres in this comic: this police procedural, this, uh, and then you've got all this the vampire stuff. But then you've got all this, you know, immortality stuff. Um, yeah. yeah. yeah brilliant it's, and like horror coming in there like different
1: yeah, kind of vampire stuff yeah, it's and, it's it's i mean it's the best to me it's the best horror book on the market at the minute it's it's absolutely fantastic and as you rightly said i think this is the best issue of this book so far uh, what about the what about the wee uh the wee backstory the barnes and alexander elysium gardens story the werewolf story at the back um this is the second time it's appeared yeah that was part two yeah, yeah yeah I'm, I'm not sure what to do with it like i don't know you know they, i don't know it, either
2: but i feel it's gonna add up to something
1: yeah yeah is it are we gonna get werewolves down the line yeah i don't know i'm not sure is it a different world is it a different story is it gonna is it gonna fold into this eventually i just don't i don't know yeah. what uh, do you think
2: alan
0: i think it'll fold in definitely at some point i mean even just the fact that it's the same writer artist combination Sometimes when you get backup stories, you might have the same writer, but not the same artist. So the fact that it's Jason, Sean Alexander, I think it'll definitely, it, it's maybe a way of expanding this world. You know, as as you say, Roddy, maybe you're going to get werewolves down the line. Maybe, you know, it, is it from, from arc to arc, there's always escalation, you know? So where do you go after vampires? You can go on the werewolves. But one of the things I love about this book is that every character in it feels like a character, mm. like even Charon you're talking about. I mean, my worry was he was that that character he she you know obviously they're they're sexless but you you got the feeling they were just going to be exposition but then it's just this one really great line where they're going past the burning city and uh, Sangster Senior says is that a city on fire and Charon goes it appears your detective skills weren't relegated to the mortal coil <laughs> you know there's there's a little bit of humor injected in there and that just rounds out the character really well but yeah I I. You know, make make it three for three. I think this is the best issue of this yet, and it's already had a really high standard the whole way through this story. But yeah, everything about it just was a was a class issue. As I say, this was very very close to being my pick of the week. Um, mm. So it was. So I was I was more than happy that you you threw it out there for a deep dive, Keith.
1: Sweet. Um, yeah, and I noticed there's a, a variant cover by Bill Sinkovich, the legend.
0: They've got a, They've got a lot of great um, people doing the variant covers for this. Like it's almost like it it, it stepped up in prestige from uh, volume one to volume two. So Scotty Young did one for number seven. Bill Sinkovitz is number eight. I think it's Martinez doing number nine, and then it's it's, it's a couple of other artists they announced as well. So yeah, just great to see this book doing so well. And I don't know if you saw there was. I'm gonna have to um, hook it out here, but there was a tweet there was something i retweeted during the week and uh it was basically like a politician was on like the like NBC news or something like that for part of an interview and uh in the background there was just a copy of Philadelphia volume one clearly you know displayed really yeah displayed with pride so it was
2: well Um, like they were um i think we were talking about it the last time we talked about it it's um It's another relevant book as well. So I think um, it's crossing over to more than just comics.
1: Mm. Absolutely, yeah.
2: Because of the characters it represents. And yeah, so that's good to see.
0: Yeah, so it's Mm -hmm. uh, a guy called Jason Johnson. He's a professor at the School of Global Journalism and Communication in Atlanta. And uh, Rodney Barnes, who writes Philadelphia, just put out, big shout out to Dr. Jason Johnson for his fine taste in literature. And uh, I, c- I can sort of hold it up for you guys to see, but you can just yeah. see it there in the background. Philadelphia, uh, <laughs> very prominently yeah. displayed there. Uh, I've,
1: uh, I've seen a couple of uh, a couple of uh, uh, inner nerds coming out on uh, on news and different things. I was watching uh, I was watching something uh, something uh, coronavirus related on the BBC. Uh, it was some doctor chatting in England and. She had this freeze up behind her and it took me a minute and I froze it, the wonder of modern day TV when you can pause TV. Uh, but uh, I froze it and I was like, that that is the inhumans. It was it was uh, Scotty young uh, pictures of the inhumans, each of them of the royal family and I went That's, <laughs> everybody is, is just showing their, their inner nerd. <laughs> Let the freak flag fly, you know. It
2: only took a uh, global pandemic for it to Oh, happen. it yeah. did cool
0: that's that's the very definition of looking on the bright side right there mm-hmm. <laughs> so cool so that is going to do it for them picks of the week so for keith then it was a number eight which is written by rodney barnes art by jason sean alexander and yeah you have to throw out louis nct as colors for that because that is so vital to that book so we're going to be coming back with some honorable mentions uh just after this So welcome back once again, and we are now chatting our honourable mentions from the 30th of September. As I previously stated, it was a really, really strong week uh, for, for all three companies, really, I suppose like most weeks. But this week really stood out to me, and it was interesting because September was a five-week month, which usually means you end up getting a lot of sort of one-shots and annuals and, and things like that. And there's definitely quite a few of those to discuss here. We'll kick things off with DC. And uh, this one was another one that was just really close to being my pick of the week. This was Dark Knight's Death Metal, Multiverse's End. Full title just for you, Keith. Uh, This was... You're very welcome. This was the first Death Metal... This one's a bit of a a strange one because for me, this is the first metal tie-in that wasn't essential. But it was also the best metal tie-in thus far. Uh, This was... And that might be down to the fact it's written by James Tinian, who again can just do no wrong for us at the moment. But uh, James in the 4th on writing duties, uh, Juan Gideon Art, and I think it's worth uh, chatting as well about Mike Spicer, who's the colorist, who was also the colorist on Stillwater. And this one, this just basically showed up the absurdity and the over-the-top nature of what death metal is. Uh, this one brought together the Multiverse, multiversities, Justice Incarnate. It brought together all the current Green Lanterns. It had the original dark mirror version of batman which is Isleman man of our three but not only that you started getting more and more characters coming into to this story by the end of it you had you know it just got really ridiculous at some point you had like a baby batman and his legions of rainbow batmen all wielding like a corresponding lantern ring color you had captain carrot in here it just was a really ridiculous issue but so so much fun a lot of great humor in it uh, I'm going to throw you in my copy, Keith, because I know this is the first one I think you didn't pick up because, as I say, story-wise, I don't think it's that essential, but it was a great, great issue. It had me in stitches the whole way through it. I mean, there's the wee baby Batman I'm talking about, and it actually squares off against Man. and you know he's got this really sort of evil-looking character design despite being a baby, and uh, he sort of turns to the, like the equivalent of the camera, I suppose, and goes, No, I'm a Batman. I can't lose. I'm going to eat your fucking heart with my baby teeth. And uh <laughs> then just as he realizes all man's got the better of him, like the the art style has changed like really sad eyes and crying. He's like, Please, I'm just a widow batman. <laughs> it is a ridiculous issue, but it is genuinely the best example of metal. Because the thing is with metal, it's done with a lot of seriousness and it's done with a lot of care and, and top-level, you know, creators on it. But it's so ridiculous. You just you have to embrace that. I think, and that's what this issue really did for me. As um, a sales, three my copy, Keith, and and you can give it a read. But just as a great one-off, just so so much fun. And again, Tinian continuing to uh, to knock it out of the park.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I think you're exactly right there, Alan. Didn't read this one, but I think what you say about the ridiculousness of it, the madness of it, the you know, and just embracing it. I think you're you're. You're probably right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've started. I've started trying to trying to let go a wee bit and, and just uh, and just sort of just exactly that. You know, the ridiculousness of it. Maybe maybe it's because I enjoyed speed metal so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it's it's that. But yeah, absolutely.
0: Uh, speaking of Tinian, another one I thought deserved to mention that I thought was great this week was Batman: The Joker Warzone. Again, coming into that sort of fifth week of a month slot, it's a it's a one shot. That is related to the ongoing Joker Wars storyline in Batman that Tinian is currently writing. And this just gave it a a, a bit more depth. There was five or six individual stories here. Tinian wrote two of them. And I don't think it's a coincidence that for me anyway, the two that he wrote were the best two. Uh, The first story was great. And actually, it's interesting as well. The first story we were chatting with Clay last week about how... James Tinian has taken over from Tom King's run and is he just doing his own thing or is he respecting what came before the first story is set at Arkham Asylum and it's basically just a face off between Joker and Bane, and the Joker taunting him saying how his whole city of Bane takeover was just a joke and it was useless and he missed his best opportunity to break Batman and you know there was a great line in it where he's mocking him for you know spoilers for Batman 77 so only about a year ago. But uh, it's obviously Bane killed Alfred in front of Damien for Damien infiltrating City of Bane. And the Joker ends up basically mocking him in here, saying, um, and right as he was ready to come back, ready for you to deliver the final blow, still hundreds of miles away from the city, you kill the last parental figure he has in front of the kid. You didn't even put him on the damn telephone so he can listen to it. You wasted it. You wasted that death. Uh, so it was just a great wee story of a mocking being and then the last story he did was the one reason I thought, even though he's not a big Batman guy, I thought Roddy might possibly pick this up and it was because there's a 10 page story written by Tinian with art by James Stokoe which is called Clown Hunt and it focuses on the character of Clown Hunter it just reimagines Gotham as this urban, neon and
2: drenched nightmare of a city it's like Alan... I actually realized in my notes there I meant to say something about Department of Truth, mm-hmm. and I was like, I, I really feel there's a there's a pang in my heart that I missed jumping on James Tinian's Batman run.
0: We can sort that for you, don't you worry?
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: I will give up my issues feel... for you, Roddy. I will give up my no, I won't really. Oh, no. I won't really. I won't really. Uh...
2: That's but you know like it, it feels it just feels like i should be there you know it's it's that there's something about it that really gets i like james Stoku's like an artist i absolutely love so i'll definitely check that out for you but yeah like i feel i feel with uh, tinian he's just like there's something something about him that that and the way you guys talk about that batman run too is you know so it sounds like something special at the moment
0: yeah, definitely worth jumping into it. I know the trades are on their way as well. So the first one's going to be called Their Dark Designs, and then there's going to be Joker War. So it's definitely worth picking up. But hey, it might even read better as a trade, you know, long-form story. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I, we definitely would recommend it anyway. But yeah, just thought it was a great one shot and added depth to Joker War. It wasn't. I wouldn't say it was essential. There's nothing in there that is really essential to the story, but I thought it did add a bit of depth to it, and there was some, there was some great stuff in there
1: uh i agree with you i mean i wouldn't i wouldn't have said it was essential um my two favorite stories well i had, I had three stories i enjoyed I, I really enjoyed that tinian one at the start with Bean that you just talked about uh i thought that was that was fabulous uh tinian and uh william march um and the other story i really enjoyed was the poison ivy story mm-hmm. uh, ashes of eden by sam johns and uh, Laura Braga. Um, both of those stories I notice are the two stories in there that say continued to be continued in 2021. Mm-hmm. Uh, so obviously they, the story of Queen Ivy and and whatever happened there with Bean and and the Joker are going to be uh, going to be involved. But I also enjoyed the uh, obviously I didn't realise until uh, after I finished it, but uh, I enjoyed the uh, the Joshua Williams story uh, about the Henchmaster. Uh, and uh, it's uh, Spo- spoiler and uh, orphan, yeah. Uh, trying to trying to trying to break into uh to get a new bat signal after the bat signal was destroyed during Joker War. But yeah, it was all right. It was all right. Um, I, I don't know that I would have been. Uh, I don't know that I would have been absolutely upset if I had missed it. You know, haven't haven't read it. I don't know if I'd have been absolutely upset if I missed it. But it was it wasn't bad. It wasn't bad.
0: Well, what I would say is that it. it bodes well for and continuing on batman because the first story there as you say to be continued 2021 you won't have read it yet but batman 100 there's two different stories in there that both end in the same way where they say to be continued in 2021 so he's clearly planning setting up yeah. Uh, arcs yeah, yeah. Okay, really planning cool. long-form storytelling so that's great to see uh, i wouldn't
1: like to be the joker uh whenever bane gets out and gets hold of him <laughs>
0: You might be right there, you know. Villain, you know, villains fighting amongst themselves. You know, who would have thunk it? So yeah, those were a couple of DC ones I thought were uh, worth honourable mentions. I know you've uh, a couple of yourself, Keith. You wanted to throw in quickly?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can't. Uh, it's, it's rare that I get through a week without mentioning this book: John Constantine, Hellblazer number ten, uh, Simon Spurrier. And uh, this week, uh, it's a this week. It, it's a, it's it's a one shot. It's a one shot arc that very much ties into the overall arc of the. Of the series, which, as we know, has sadly come to an end in an issue or two. Uh, uh, matthias Bergara is the artist, who's not the regular artist on this, but it's a a story called the Wake Up Call, and it, it very much uh, really is the first time we're addressing who the old, you know, what the story is with the old John Constantine, who first afe- appeared in the uh, in the Rebirth one shot, uh, or uh, you know, back at the start of this series. Um, back sorry back at the start of Spurrier series, not the Rebirth one shot, um, and it's a, it's mostly a dream quest. Um, it it takes in all of the the characters that have appeared variously throughout Spurrier's run. Uh, you know that that they include um, what do you call her uh, Nat, the uh, the door, the door the door person at the uh, at the bar that John drinks in, um, the uh, Noah who's the the sidekick. Uh, the uh, vestibulin who's the, the the demon in his phone and uh, and also everybody's favorite the one and only uh <laughs> tommy willow tree oh <laughs> he's back he's nice. back <laughs> <laughs> so uh so this is a one shot and then the next issue is uh is this sceptered isle part one which i imagine will be a two-part ending in the finale of this series in number 12 so uh yeah, once again, just just fabulous, John Constantine. The the best book that DC has has produced this year, bar none, I think.
0: Them are big words, to say the least. Yeah, buddy, and, and then, I will
1: stand by them. Um,
0: and then another one by your favorite flash writer as well.
1: Yeah, that's right. It was, it was a great uh, a great issue by Joshua Williamson. Uh, it's the Batman and Superman uh, annual, the first annual from this from this ongoing. Uh, Series. Uh, the uh, the artist. Uh, well, there's there's a variety of artists in it, but uh, the, the the most notable artist probably is the illegalshim, uh, and then Gleave uh, Melnikov and Clayton Henry. Uh, it's a, a bit of a uh, a bit of a compilation, sort of a story. Um, it's a story about uh, Batmite and uh, Mister Mixel Mixo-Clicks. Did I get that right?
0: That that's a name that has always been tough to pronounce in uh, in DC lore. So you it was just rolling off the tongue from you before we started recording, but you, you seem to struggle with it there that time.
1: Oh, well, I mean, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave that where I left it, and, <laughs> and I'm not gonna try again. But uh, it's uh, you know the the story is is effectively uh, it's it's that old fan question: who would win between Batman versus Batman and Superman? You know, uh, and and what it is is you have Batmite and and Mixoplex who are uh, they're they're sort of shepherding these young imps that appear to be their I don't know their kids or whatever. Uh, and one of them is playing with Batman and the other is playing with Superman, and they start the argument, and then Mixoplex and Batmite get into the argument uh, as reality warping uh, imps that then has uh, has implications on reality. You know, as they start to manipulate. Sort of Batman and Superman and and fighting, but the reason uh, it's a it's a solid solid annual. You know what annuals are like. You know they're for the most part they're one shot stories. They're maybe marginally connected to the series they're involved in. They're a bit of a a bit of a celebration, a chance sometimes to get a different creative team on a book, you know, or or whatever. But the reason really that this stood out for me is uh, my favourite page, (laughs) my favourite page of the week. It just comes off the back of click, You know so. Batmite has told his story of of how, uh, you know, how, how Batman defeats Superman. So it's it's Mixoplex, uh, his turn to uh, to tell his story of how Superman beats Batman. And it's just one page. It's just a picture of Superman thumping Batman and just going, boom, done. <laughs> you know, it's just, the story's called Batman, The Dark Knight Dies, exclamation mark. It's just, you know, so it was, it's just very, it's very funny, very tongue in cheek. And then, of course, towards the end, Batman and Superman realise they're being manipulated through reality and join forces in order to put an end to the mischief.
0: And See, that's why I didn't read that uh, annual. I don't need to see Batman destroyed like that. It, 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 would, it would ruin the view <laughs> I have of... Oh, Batman, you
1: know? <laughs> Batman gets his own back, don't worry. It's
0: fine, <laughs> it's fine. I have no doubt. I have no doubt. Uh, but yeah, those were a couple of DC ones, so we'll just nip into a bit of Marvel now. Uh, interestingly enough, the first one that we're going to chat about quickly was one that I wanted to spotlight. And and again, randomly, was quite close to being up there as pick of the week. I'm not currently following Dan Slot's Fantastic Four run. I, I fell off it a little while back. I just sort of struggled to connect with it for whatever reason. And interestingly enough, Fantastic Four 24, which was out this week, I only picked up because there was a special bonus story in it, which was called uh, Nexus War Thor. And it was a sort of a 10 10 page issue that originally appeared in the video game Fortnite, but they were printing it here so you could catch up. It was basically a retread of everything in Thor so far with one or two extra pages at the end. But I gave the issue a read and as I was saying, the fifth the five week month form um release schedule allowing there to be like annuals and one-shots and stuff. This one was essentially a one-shot, uh, which was all about the the time that the human torch was basically replaced by Iceman as a member of the fantastic four <laughs> and this issue to me this this uh evoked the best of the the glory years of stan lee this was a great one shot it was a lot of it was told in flashback of this great adventure where johnny got really huffy and abandoned the fantastic four and basically is like you're all just jealous everyone knows i'm the most popular member of the fantastic four i'm out of here i'm gonna be on my own and then it's just at that point that Iceman comes and you know tries to to help them out because he's struggling with being an X-Man at that point. So just a really cool wee one-shot story. It it really nailed the characters. It nailed the family feel. It had that, of course, nice, you know, they all make up at the end sort of ending. I just thought this was charm personified. It really reminded me a lot of... I'm a big, big fan of Dan Slott's run on Silver Surfer. That's the tone of what this was for me. And it's actually... Possibly inspired me to go back and maybe give us Fantastic Four run just uh, another go after this one.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree with you, Alan. I've been on slots run uh, on Fantastic Four since since the start. He was writing Fantastic Four and Iron Man concurrently, and uh, Fantastic Four is a dance slot book. Iron Man was not a dance slot book. Um, but yeah, this was uh, this was fabulous. It does exactly what a, I mean. It, it they they really repositioning the Fantastic Four is Marvel's first family, uh, and the family has been extended a little bit, as you may notice around the table at the end of this, as a result of uh, Empire, uh, where, uh, where Ben Grimm, uh, the Thing, and uh, his wife, Alicia, uh, they were they got married during, the, during Dan Slott's run, finally, after 60 years. Uh, <laughs> but uh, they have now adopted two young alien warriors Van and nikala who they've now christened uh, as their scroll and a and a cree uh and uh, they've now christened them Joe and nikki uh and they know they've they're now, they've now taken them on as, as children and johnny has his uh soul his soul partner uh, sky who he met in another previous story and johnny is like he's a a constant philanderer in the marvel universe so he's just Realizing what a screw-up he is, and, and he feels he has been, you know, and feeling the pressures and starting to settle down a wee bit. But, yeah, the story's very much about Iceman replacing Johnny Storm that time that he left, uh, the, the, that, that time that, that Iceman couldn't face the X-Men and Johnny Storm left the Fantastic Four. And it's hilarious because it's, it's said during that time that early, in the early X-Men whenever Iceman was still like a snowman. Uh, you know, rather than the the omega level mutant that they've now discovered that he is, they've since discovered that he is. It's just, uh, it's just a great, it's a great, uh, great superhero story. It's just four color, four color fantasy goodness. Like, very, very good, very good indeed.
2: Cool.
0: And obviously, this being the Marvel section, I think there's going to be more honourable mentions from you here, Keith, than, than any of the rest of us.
1: Okay. Well, uh, feel free to pitch in if uh, if any of you 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 picked any of these up. Uh, my, my first, uh, dive into this, uh, this particular, uh, title on the, uh, on the X, uh, the X family, uh, X factor number four, I've picked it up because it's part two of, uh, X 10 of swords. Um, I thought this was, this was a fantastic, uh, second issue. We're really sort of starting to get into the story a wee bit here. Uh, the, the resurrection protocols are in danger for the first time since, uh, since Jonathan Hickman's, uh, the start of Jonathan Hickman's story, uh, we're starting to see the, the stakes of what's going to happen here. We're, we're going to see... So the, this, the stakes are such that uh, a, a challenge has been wedged in Otherworld, uh, which, is, which is where Merlin and Roma are from, and uh, the stakes are such that... Uh, the, the competition is such as that two, two opposing sides, one of those sides being the X-Men, Ten champions of the X Men and ten champions of the other side are going to be uh, in combat um, in other world. The stakes in other world are such as that we now understand that the resurrection protocols that have been so key to Jonathan Hickman's run do not work if a mutant is killed. In other word, uh, so we've got an issue there. Suddenly the stakes are a wee bit higher. Uh, they're setting up a MacGuffin hunt for the swords. Uh, there's a there's a through through the. Uh, the, the Jonathan Hickman text pages were uh, were gifted with a with a riddle uh, which uh, allows us to start identifying who what, what the swords are and who the sword wielders will be uh, as uh, I just had great fun uh, looking at uh, looking at uh, Doug Ramsey's uh, interpretation of that so yeah I'm, I'm, I'm now I'm now fully invested in ten of swords and uh, I'm here for the, the 22 parts.
0: <laughs> yeah, I actually read this one myself as well. I I really enjoyed X of Swords creation. I yeah. yeah. just sort of thought, you know, I'll I'll just jump on this. It's a twenty two issue event, which is quite large, but you know, hit, many hit... parts twenty two parts. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's spread across a lot of titles, which as a comic store has not been fun in terms of knowing what to order for people. But I have a real feeling this is going to be like House of Powers. This is slowly going to gain a following. People, the the pre-orders are going to go up for it more and more people are going to read it and i really liked it in this issue as you say keith it, it put those resurrection protocols at stake because to this point let's be honest the x-men and hickman's run have essentially become immortal you know their consciousness yeah. is downloading yeah. they create a brand new you know body for them they inject that consciousness it's like they never died mm. so to actually take that safety net away i thought was really interesting and as you said actually gives it some stakes so
1: yeah now what's interesting i mean with the resurrection protocols because one of our big complaints with comics is jesus death is a revolving door in comics you know characters are always dying and coming back so what jonathan hickman effectively has done is he's removed that from his series Mm -hmm. you know because characters dying and coming back he has made it pedestrian
0: yeah you
1: know so suddenly now he, he does i mean suddenly now with that that thing that has been in place for a year we're now suddenly going oh no oh no <laughs> you know so it's, it's it's cool i mean it's it's, uh,
0: cool. it, it's such a thing in comics the whole dying and coming back it's even invading indie comics now i mean we thought sangster senior was dead and now he's coming back <laughs> you know it's even infesting in indie comics <laughs>
1: uh, class class um another pick for me from marvel um the first issue of shang chi by uh gene Long yang and uh and Dyke ryan philip tan um one I was looking forward to obviously because of the the martial arts sort of angle to it i really love you know shang chi obviously is as part of that uh you know martial arts 70s kung fu bruce lee exploitation sort of era um and i've actually started listening to uh the bruce lee podcast which is is is, is done by by his daughter shannon you know i'm, I'm really getting into that now and and uh what they're feeling those sides of things are but anyway that's an aside um so Shang-Chi is uh they're they're reimagining Shang-Chi's uh origin here a wee bit because Shang-Chi's origin in the 70s is a little bit problematic now uh just with regard to uh visions of uh of of Asian culture and and of uh in particular Asian characters um so they're reimagining that a wee bit and they're they're you know, so where they set up uh they set up the Five Weapons Society, um which Shang-Chi's father was the supreme the supreme lord of and uh, and that and, and you know, they they've they've changed out or, or at least softened some of the stereotypes here and and maintained you know, sort of the idea that Shang Chi's father was the, the leader of this secret society, this clan was an evil guy and and met his end at this at the at the hands of Shang Chi himself, you know. But Shang Chi's always been a character that's had trouble finding his place in the Marvel universe. You know, it's been short series here and there. But obviously, Shang Chi is on the Marvel movie release list. So uh, so there's you know Shang Chi in the Ten Rings. So uh, so I think they're going to be upping his profile here a bit. Um, but yeah, it's it's a. A great martial arts story, a great origin story, a great background, reimagining and and pushing things forward a wee bit. Uh, you know the the these these Asian secret societies and Shang Chi's connection to them, whereas Shang Chi himself is in San Francisco in Chinatown and and using his skills, uh, you know, in a in a uh, a, a Chinese sweet store uh, or a bun store, uh, you know, to to live a normal life. You know, whenever. Uh, someone comes out of his past and uh, and uh, and and pulls him back in effectively. Um, but yeah, just I, I think it was a really interesting story, really interesting characters introduced. I think it would be an easy place if you had never heard of Shang Chi just to pick up and go, okay, this is where I am, this is what's going on. You know, the origin was within the first two or three pages, and then it gets straight into the story. Um, so I'm really looking forward to seeing to seeing where this goes. I'm really looking forward to seeing some some kick-ass martial arts as you you very often see. Uh, and was,
2: uh, was that a mini series, Keith, or was that an ongoing?
1: I think different. this is a mini, mm-hmm. five issues, I think. Uh, so yeah, uh, yeah, well, well worth it, I would say, well worth it, especially with this character about to become one of the stars of the the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, I think uh, I think now would be a time to, to jump on the jump on the train, and uh, the and that the chi-chi <laughs> no, train,
2: don't,
1: don't. it had
0: to be done. <laughs> Roddy, I can see the look in your face. If I didn't say it, you were gonna say it.
1: <laughs> I see what you did there. I see what you did there. Moving swiftly on, uh, did anybody else read the giant size X Men Deadly Genesis tribute to Len Wein and uh, and Dave Cockrum?
0: All you, Uh
1: So this is a forty-eight page uh, giant. It is a retelling of the story. So as you know, the you know the X Men weren't a great hit whenever they first came out, uh, and were cancelled very 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 shortly after. What really started the X Men was whenever Len Wein and Dave Cochran got a hold of them, and in August nineteen seventy-five, five years after the X Men comic had had stopped being produced, uh, and original stories, they 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 took a bunch of new characters, uh, Storm, Colossus, Wolverine, Nightcrawler and uh, Thunderbird and, uh, and, and created a new X-Men story with these uh, misfits, you know, who didn't fit together, who weren't a team uh, in order to, to rescue the original X-Men from Krakoa. 1975 Krakoa that has now become central to Jonathan Hickman's uh, run. So 45 years later, uh, 58 of Marvel's top creators pay tribute to that book. Uh, and what they've done is they've taken the original script and each page is drawn by a different art team. So it is absolutely fantastic. I really enjoyed this. Page one is drawn by Alex Ross. <laughs> what else? Like uh, Page three by Chris Samney and Matthew Wilson. Uh, page six by Stephen Segovia. Aaron uh, Cooter's in there and Jordi Belair. Juan Cabal, uh, Phil Noto, Valerio Ushidi, Lionel Francis Yu, uh, Iban Coelho, RB Silva, Joshua Casara, Rod, Rod Reyes, Pepe Larraz, Mike Del Mundo, you know what I mean to choose a few, so it it just it's it's a really fantastic read. I knew the story off by heart, but seeing it drawn in all these different ways, but still flowing together as a story, as a story is is fantastic. A um, couple of lovely interviews at the back with uh, with uh, Len Wayne's wife and uh, and Dave Cochran's wife, both men obviously have since passed on, um, and with uh, with Chris Claremont. So I, it's a lovely a lovely oddity. It's a lovely tribute. It really is. You can you can just see the the care with which these artists have approached this. You know, um, normally, I would be put off by the change in art style every page, but that's what this is for. So I'm good with it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah, essentially an homage to that issue, I
1: suppose. That's exactly so what is,
0: it is. Is the script exactly the same, like word for word?
1: No, uh, there are some problematic terms that were okay in 1975 and aren't okay now that have been changed. Um, but uh, but the the feeling is that is that the original writers would probably have changed those terms anyway Mm -hmm. um so yeah so so yeah um it was really if you if it's if there's still a copy in the store i would say pick it up and enjoy it um last one for me boys uh falcon and winter soldier number three was very close to being my pick of the week it was it
0: it was the marvel equivalent this week for me anyway of that multiverse issue I was talking about just a lot of fun uh-huh a lot uh-huh. of great back and forth uh great uh camaraderie slash rivalry between Falcon and winter soldier. I just love how easily the character the natural just plays with him
1: yeah yeah he I don't know if he's playing
0: with him or if he's oh he's definitely playing with him like the His... the whole scene where he's assembling the gun, the whole point where Oh, if you'd have caught me a day earlier, guys, you would have been a lot easier. And then he like slips out of the room as all the, you know, Hydra agents then swarm in. You know what I mean? Ooh. There's, there's more to it than that. But he's clearly playing with them. You know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, but I. But I. But I get. I get the feeling that his hero worship is real. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, as he, he's he's, yeah. Uh, it's uh, it's it's very very good stuff. It's great stuff. But I love I love Falcon. I love Winter Soldier. Um, the two former former caps. I love. The fact that the natural's parents are the hugest Captain America fans and insist that that Falcon and Winter Soldier dress up in their previous Captain America outfits—not the ones they actually wore, but the the merchandise that the parents give them to dress up in, which don't fit quite as well—they're <laughs> they're, they're, they're a little
0: tight in places, if I yeah, remember correctly.
1: They, they, they certainly are. Uh, yeah, there's some some great moments. Um, yeah, you know, they're. The, Sam is Sam is looking for a for a particular character. Uh, whenever they they start the fight with the Hydra agents, and uh, <laughs> at one point they're they're in the middle of this battle with these Hydra agents, and Sam shouts, "Sally McKenzie!" And one of the Hydra agents goes, "What a strange battle cry!" <laughs> 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 uh, it's uh, the the writing is 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 fantastic. It's Derek uh, Derek Landy, Derek Landy yeah. and uh, Federico Vincentini. Yeah. With Matt Milan Art. but yeah, I've really enjoyed this series. It's just been great fun, and even just whenever, whenever the, the, the 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 crux of it is that there's two different people. Well, there's someone competing with Baron Zemo to, to be the new Supreme Hydra, and uh, just even that end, whenever, whenever you realise that the other contestant for Supreme Hydra is watching and is realising whenever their name is revealed and just drinking a cup of tea, says and saying "Have a nice day," and go just goes, ah oh, well crap. it's just it's so tongue-in-cheek very very funny but there you go that's my marvel i
0: think that makes an excellent companion piece with hawkeye freefall yes very similar tones even the art styles are quite similar they're sort of quite cartoony quite realistic but at the same time exaggerated and just yeah i think the those two trades together will
1: make an excellent Mm. sort of back-to-back and uh and and they mean that if they if, if the the playing off of of bucky and and falcon Bucky and Sam is the same in the TV series as it is in this. They won't go too far wrong because, you know, Sam's just a wee bit moralistic, but he's still got that edge that Sam just doesn't quite have. They they balance each other very very well. You know, they're they're the classic odd couple.
0: So what you're saying is, get Derek Landy on to write some of the episodes for the the TV show. Um,
1: I wouldn't complain about that.
0: <laughs> the Natural's a fantastic character as well. Yeah, yeah, really really good, Chris. I love that sort of scene with the two of them looking at each other, going like how fast can you reassemble a gun because he's at the other end of the room and he's getting ready to put it together just yeah really really good stuff so it is so yeah that's uh the dc and the marvel sides of things taken care of so finally roddy you can emerge like sangster senior and rejoin the conversation hit us with some indie stuff (laughs) hit us with some indie stuff because i know there was a graphic that you were quite impressed with this week
2: yeah um i picked up uh, I believe it was one of my picks um, a couple of months ago. Uh, it Was it indeed, is, Roddy. It was indeed, and it was Nicolas Petrimo's uh, "Gunning for Ramirez," and this is Act One. Um, so, if you love sort of uh, Sicario and other sort of uh, Mexico cartel-based crime stories, you're going to love this. Um, Nicholas Petrimo does it all basically in this. I it started off as a, I think it was published in French by Dargaud, and then Image sort of picked it up, and now it's um, sort of a couple of graphic novels in the States. Um, I really, I really really dug it. I thought it wasn't what I expected, which is weird, because um, there's loads of great moments of humour, which I didn't realise were going to be in there. But um, it sort of focuses on this mute um assassin who works in this uh, vacuum repair store in arizona and it's sort of the art is incredible um sort of this sun drenched it's like a little bit if you imagine the textures of breaking bad transported to a comic book you'll get this um really really good um there's a lot of uh, conspiracy stuff going on in it a lot of like it's got it's got this wicked sense of humor that i really enjoyed but also some uh, some horrifying cartel type dealings yeah really i really dug it um sort of devoured it, devoured it in one go it's like a massive uh, graphic novel so yeah um definitely recommend it to people um i know you guys didn't pick it up that's because
0: we're waiting for uh, to borrow your copy Roddy.
2: oh yeah well that's it
0: uh, which I will definitely grab off of it somewhat it, it sort of looked to me to have maybe an Eduardo Risso type vibe to the art you know the guy that does 100 bullets that sort of mm. style so uh, I'm definitely interested in uh, nabbing that off you so I am kind of because
2: it, it also it does have that style but it's there's a twinge of like a cartoony nature to
0: it yeah sort of an exaggerated reality type feel that's what 100 bullets is like to me as well it's all sort of dark textures and you know, almost like a hyper-realized world I suppose um, so yeah, yeah I'll definitely grab that off you at some point if I may so yeah so that's Good In For Ramirez that's an original graphic novel and that is Act 1 so we can uh, expect a couple of follow-ups to that uh, what else we got this Speaking week? Of
2: Act Ones. Speaking
0: of Act 1's Speaking of Act 1's indeed Euros, Year the, Zero number 5 The end of Volume 1 but Volume 2 is already announced and on the way uh, Year Zero has been a great title. I have thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. The trade actually hit this week, and it comes from AWA Studios, who is it's an imprint that I am absolutely love, and I've collected everything there so far. They seem to specialize in four-, five-, six-issue miniseries, and if something does well enough or they have more stories to tell, they then move on to a volume two. So by the looks of it, they're not interested in doing really ongoing stuff. What was great about Year Zero was that it was a zombie apocalypse story written by Benjamin Percy, but unlike something like The Walking Dead," which is you know phenomenal in its own right, it wasn't just interested in exploring one group of survivors and their struggle it it went all over the globe, and you had four different characters in four different cities in four very different situations and it, it it's a weird thing to say anyway, it almost um it almost ended very quietly. But very contently if that makes sense like uh, these characters had sort of accepted their place in this world and you know the the company they were in and so forth so it i i really don't double-
2: so sorry alan it was like it felt satisfying in the way that you knew the second the second arc was coming mm-hmm. but it wasn't it didn't feel cheap that it, the second arc was coming it felt like a logical sort of conclusion to all the stories um but it didn't feel like the second arc was tacked on it felt like a very genuine sort of installment to all i loved i loved how all the characters wrapped up and i love i i really i really dug this series i'm not on like any other awa book but i thought this one was class so i'm probably gonna have to try and seek out some graphic novels um but yeah I would give a special shout out to is it caray andrews who does the cover
1: mm-hmm. all the covers yeah, for year yeah.
2: zeros they are freaking incredible
1: they are um great artists uh, been in a number of uh, the iron fist book uh, years ago the iron fist the living weapon and a few other bits and pieces uh, mm-hmm. yeah absolutely um do, so are we uh, from this can we assume that that volume two is going to be about a different set of characters yeah yeah, yeah. Four different characters, can, four different locations. It, yeah. yeah. Um, cool. I mean, if there was if there was one character out of the out of the, the set of characters that we followed in this, whose story was continued, who would it be for you, Roddy? Well, I didn't like him, but it would be the guy in the basement. Whatever, I can't remember your guy's name. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> a, uh,
2: the the. the um,
1: Oh god! What do you call? What do you call him? End of the world? Uh, yeah, the the survivalist. Yes, um, uh, the, sur- the he, survivalist nerd who was out nerded by the guy that he met. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um. Well. <laughs> I uh, can't,
2: yeah. What was his name? Um. But yeah, like I don't think he will continue.
1: No, you, what about uh, what about you, Alan?
0: What uh, was I really liked the emissary storyline. So I did. Um, where was it set? Oh, in
1: Tora Bora in Afghanistan. Yeah, that was the yeah, one. Yeah. yeah,
0: like it was sort of this group of women survivors who were, you know, in a war torn society, and you know how they came out of that. I thought was really really interesting. Uh, yeah. I'm I'm I bet I can guess who yours would be.
1: I I agree with you. I agree with you. Uh, I was expecting uh, the
0: Japanese hitman. Who I I, I enjoyed.
1: I enjoyed uh, Saga Watanabe, but uh, uh, it was a wee bit more one-dimensional than the other stories. I felt. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I I did enjoy it. Of course, I enjoyed it. It was a Japanese assassin with a samurai sword, (laughs) who who uh, had to
0: kill his master to be able to move on.
1: Absolutely. Forget about all these
0: zombies. He had he had honor. You know, he had a code that he had to follow.
2: really worth checking out if you're gonna definitely be picking up the um the trade because it's like almost like imagine a side character in the walking dead that's Mm -hmm. their this is the story their story you know he it's not the main characters it's like the really sort of interesting characters off to the side you know around the world like that that's what really stood out for me about it Mm.
1: Uh, yeah, most enjoyable. I think It's going to make a good trade. Um, I picked up the Resistance trade paperback, uh, the other uh, AWA by J. Michael Straczynski. Uh, I read that first issue. Got it as a, I got it as a new comic book day uh, free or a free comic book day, sorry, issue. I really enjoyed it, and I picked up the trade there whenever it was in. So uh, I'm looking forward to that.
0: Yeah, all their trades are great, and they they did release them at that sort of ten dollar price point. So you've got Year Zero, you've got The Resistance, you've got Red Border, uh, you've also got Archangel Eight, and then my personal favorite out of the five, which was Hotel, which Mm -hmm. I thought was wonderful. It was just sort of Hitchcock meets David Cronenberg. Loved it. Really great horror title.
1: (laughs) So you can get that five issue Year Zero story in a trade paper bag for nine quid. Yeah. That is unbelievable. Jump on that. Jump on that if you haven't read this. Yeah. Uh, Fantastic. Fantastic. Many copies left and we, we and,
0: uh... we've got a couple of copies left in the store but i did order quite big on them and they've been selling well i've even ordered top-ups already for them so uh i i really like that they're following that image model as well because you know as you say like the resistance was six issues uh hotel was four issues year zero was five issues but all of them are ten dollar price points they're all nine pound each whether there were six trades or or sorry six issues or four issues. So um yeah really great imprint really recommended some great creators doing some really interesting stuff mm-hmm. so uh, volume
1: two just around the corner on volume year zero
0: anyway very much so and i really hope they continue all of them to be honest because yeah. I, I think they've all been class so uh yeah year zero number five written benjamin uh written by benjamin percy artist ramon Rosanas. uh next up i think is one that you guys were reading a uh, couple of 80s icons so i know roddy's always ready to jump on that
2: what did you reckon
1: Roddy um yeah it it
2: was it wasn't a series that I was enamored with but um excuse me and this was Transformers vs the Terminator number four and it was just like yeah it was okay it was a nice wee finale it was sort of the T-800 teaming up with the Autobots to take on the Decepticons it was a bit I wasn't yeah just sort of fizzle it was just something i read because it was there i think and oh well, maybe it wasn't that bad it was it was it was like one of those crossovers that was nice to see It really dug the the covers and stuff but um yeah i mean it was just it was one of those crossovers wasn't
1: it yeah it, it was bit... I, I totally agree with you, it was uh it was an interesting diversion wee you horned in uh you know i thought it was it was interesting you know by the end of it sarah corner had founded skywatch which was obviously <laughs> fairly important to transformers uh history uh you know um but eh, yeah eh. yeah
2: we'll yeah. we'll see how uh transformers versus back to the future does soon if uh, we will <laughs> we will but yeah it was um i thought it was there was something weird I I said it the first time we talked about it it was like the colouring was really weird and it continued throughout the series I just thought it was um, yeah nothing really stood out for me like with these you know it's like the Transformers and the Terminator
1: it should like jump yeah the yeah yeah,
2: it, you yeah know yeah. but it, it felt a bit lifeless which is a
1: um, bit sad. i sort of enjoyed the the alternate history you know the idea that, that uh you know megatron's dead and uh, the decepticons are leaderless so they they just joined up with the autobots <laughs> yeah you know and, and led by optimus Prime, So that was kind of cool in a, in a way you know uh but yeah yeah i'm totally i think we're in agreement there roddy yeah
0: yeah, it's a series that uh, I got two issues into, and then in a stunning oh, turn really? of events, I actually just went. I'm not really enjoying this, and stopped reading it. yeah so, which yeah. I don't do often, especially for something that's four issues. I mean, as as comic nerds, for back, lack of a better term, we're conditioned to if you start a mini series to finish it. But I just when you when your piles are so big, I was just like, this doesn't excite me. So I uh, I gave up on it after two. So it doesn't sound like I missed an awful lot, to be honest um one issue or one series i did finish though and it was ridiculous the whole way through but (laughs) a lot of fun i could say ludicrous the whole way through but that just gives it away ludocrats number
1: five Karen gillen uh, on writing so good so good uh it has the best uh recap in an issue i have ever seen uh the recap is in the previous comics, a large man with an axe was framed for a crime he didn't commit. He did not escape. He is not the A team. <laughs> <laughs> brilliant. Brilliant. It was uh, there's there's no point in going into the story really. And,
0: no. It's the, you, you couldn't even really it, break it down, to be me. honest. Um I mean the art is is fantastic as well. It's by an artist called Jeff Stokely, who did a great series for Boom called The Spire. And Karen Gillen on writing duties, of course, but this is totally different. Well, I, I say it's totally different to Karen Gillen's other works. It is, of course, very meta and very, you know, trying to break the fourth wall, that kind of stuff. But yeah, trying to it's it's sort of a mixture of Asterix and Dune and I don't know. It's 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 a lot of weird stuff.
1: It's <laughs> it's it's uh, the the main character is 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 a ludocrat uh, called Otto von Supertan, uh, who's a large man who spends an awful lot of time naked, an awful lot of time having sex, or killing things,
0: uh, or strung up naked,
1: or strung up naked, or I uh, the there's no that's the magic of this book. There's no way to there's no way to recap or or describe what the story is about. That the, the Ludocrats are a group of, uh, they are a, a royal like a royal family or a or a, a race or a, a a culture of people who exist in some sort of alternate reality, and the whole idea is that they value thing they they value they value ridiculousness, they value uh, non sequiturs, they value. Uh, ridiculousness
0: yeah like the biggest uh, crime you could have against
1: them is being boring being being boring yeah exactly being normal uh so it's just that's that's uh, it's absolutely ridiculous there are there are uh lovecraftian elements in it there are superhero elements in it there are fantasy elements in it uh there are steampunk elements in it um there are four there's a lot of fourth wall breaking uh there's there's a guy uh and it specifically to give exposition who is killed in the third issue because he's boring because exposition is boring. Uh, it's, it's absolutely crazy. It's nuts. It's nuts. Um, highly recommend it though. Highly recommend it. Really enjoyed it. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. 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 It's we trade, we trade read maybe. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, definitely.
0: It's the kind of one that if it had been an ongoing, it might've run out of steam, but because it was, a a mini series it had a very finite structure to it that you could just go along with it uh yeah i i really dug it as well you know i i sort of read and collected it all as well so i'll definitely give it another read at some point now i've got all five issues there i would say there's
1: a there's a section at the back of this one as as the main characters are trying to escape from the story uh about previous works um and it says, you know, for those who wish to chart the long, the long underwhelming apprenticeship, which sometimes coalesced into the staggering work of genius you have just read, uh, one may study the following juvenilia. You're better off contemplating the ludocrats again, though. Uh, art is over and we won. So it says The Wicked and the Divine, which is another book by Karen Dick Gillen, nine volumes of gods occasionally being pop stars, but mainly being sad, sporadic jokes, <laughs> endemic puns. It describes Die, an ongoing series about midlife crisis, the purpose of fantasy and how much of this RPG expenditure, uh, Kieran can make tax deductible. <laughs> that's, that's that's not from start to finish, like it really is. Yeah, yeah, just yeah, go for it, go for it.
0: Yeah, be a good trade, definitely be a good yeah, trade. Yeah, okay. definitely. Um, so just a couple then, just to finish off with. I know you were on Firefly, Keith.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've been I've been loving Firefly since since the start of the series. Uh, Greg Pak is on it, um, and this uh, has been illustrated by Dan McDade. Uh We are starting a an event, the first Firefly event is called Blue Sun Rising. The Blue Sun Corporation are are particularly important in the Firefly universe uh, because they run everything, and uh, they uh, well, if you've seen the, if you've seen the read the story, but Uh, Up until now, uh, we've got a nice recap. Mal Reynolds, former captain of the smuggler ship Serenity, has found himself knee-deep in corporate politics and espionage as the new sheriff of the entire Georgia space sector with his partner, Boss Moon. Mal has done everything a sheriff could do in his time, from hunting down high-tech assassins to disguising himself as a bandit to break his friends out of prison. But uh, all this has made him a target of the Blue Sun Corporation, the largest corporation in all the verse, who have deep ties in Mal's sector. With Mal's allies few and far between, like his girl Friday and RFC Sierra, don't tell her we called her that, and the forward-thinking Senator Avila, Blue Sun has decided it's time to take the law into its own hands. So uh, this is the start of a story that's been building uh, throughout the, uh, the the fantastic Firefly series. Uh, and uh, it has Blue Sun starting to build robots to police instead of sheriffs, and Mal being paired up with one of these, and Mal... Mal's working as a double agent. He's a sheriff, but he's also trying to keep the rest of the the crew of Serenity safe in order that they can uh, they can make their fortune and finally take off into the verse and find somewhere to settle down. Um, it it just it's it's been such a great series. I really enjoyed uh, the this issue zero this uh, Blue Sun Rising event. If you're at all interested in Firefly and you haven't been on the series now, I would pick up this and then pick it up. You know pick it up for the the blue sun rising uh, event it would be a nice jumping on point i would say they what they've done so well is in a way that i don't think has been done before and i know there's been firefly comics before but greg pack really has the voices of the characters you know really has the the, the dialogue down which was so important in and joss whedon's seminal show and uh, you know it's yeah, it's just it's great stuff. It's just it's very very solid. It's it's great Firefly. It's a, it's a true continuation of the Firefly series, TV series. Um, very very good indeed.
0: The TV series that, of course, you have seen, Roddy. I have, <laughs> but well, I have not. But I have not <laughs> added to the pile. I suppose. Uh, yeah, so that was Firefly, Blue Sun Rising, Zero. So
1: <laughs> I, I would say, Alan. You need to watch that DVD, or buy my pretty floral ballot, I will end you.
2: <laughs> and
0: then he I will come misbehave. And then I will come back to this podcast, <laughs> listen to it, and understand that reference. I get you. I get you. It's
2: only, uh, it's only thirteen episodes. I, so thought it, I, I, I thought it was even less than that.
0: I thought it was. Do you know what's really weird, though? I actually have seen Serenity, but I've never seen Firefly. Mm-hmm. Go figure. Mm-hmm. I'll get there at some mm-hmm. point. I actually do have them Blu-ray behind me here, but I just haven't watched it. So, uh, yeah, we'll just finish off then with one last one, which probably, again, would have been Picks of the Week any other week. Uh, we But, again, it's a title that we don't like to you know always talk about the same things, but this book always has to be talked about. Uh, this oh. is That Texas Blood. So this is uh, written by Chris Condon, artist Jacob Phillips, and this is issue four. This has been a great title all the way through, and it just seems to be ratcheting up the... Uh, the sort of intensity with, with each issue. This one, for me, it was sort of an issue of two halves because you have all these sort of slow, introspective moments in it with uh, the main character, Randy. But at the same time as that, you also have his girlfriend deciding, I'm going to come down and support him and go to Texas and surprise him. And it's all really
1: preppy and happy and... It, it, and it, but what I think what's significant is this is number four, issue number four is the third issue of the second I suppose it's the second arc. The first issue was kinda of standalone and introduced yeah, sort of self uh, introduced the sheriff, Joe Bob, um and some characters in the and the, the area of Texas, the, the the county. And a brother's conscience is the is, is the the second arc and it's it's part three and I think it's it's a five or six part arc it's gonna be. But at the start of the arc, Randy seemed to be in this happy relationship. His brother passed away back at back at home, and Randy more or less mysteriously left, saying, "I have to do this by myself," and left yeah. this this happy well, partner. And, and
2: his brother his brother with Terry was killed, wasn't
1: he? Yeah, and that's right. Got yeah, got this premonition of him, so he was like, "Yes, he has, he has yes, to go back yeah. to to but Texas." The, there's a history here. There's a there's an absolute dark dark history here a thing that has happened and 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 this this brings us back to what alan was saying where you know she's she doesn't she doesn't know what's going on she wants to go and support her partner that's all she wants to do you know and she's worrying about her, her toothbrush and her jeans and her shorts and what she needs and and getting to the airport and meanwhile he is he is in this downward spiral in texas back at home uh things are not Going well, and I, 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 I have such fear and trepidation for this for for his girlfriend and what she is walking into. Like, I really do. I mean, it was just, oh, I don't know. There's, I, there's not a book on the stands right now that is evoking. Oh, it's so
2: good. You know, I actually we, think this was one of the best ones. Um, yeah. You know, obviously, just didn't, didn't get to talk about it, but um, I also thought it brought. Uh, Sheriff Joe, Joe Bob or whatever, he got um, he got a little bit more shine. You know, at the start you kind of think he's a bit oafish, but um, there's you know he's like that near retirement kind of cop, but um, you see that he's actually like he's he's a bloke that's you know he's not gonna back down, and he's he's kind of committed to justice no matter, no matter how bad it's gonna get, and I I love the the feeling that this book evokes and i love that like how texas is like a you know a feeling it's not a place i really really dig it um and uh sean phillips art as as ever is just this beautiful haunting imagery of like this this random place in texas i absolutely love this book and it it seems to me it just it just appears it doesn't feel monthly i feel like i've read them all in a month that's how good it is. It's like, have I have they actually been out once every month? That's like,
1: like that's how I feel about it. Um, uh, my favorite, my favorite section of this book is, is just it's a, it's a wee bit. just the, is the, the the exchange between Joe Bob and his wife. Uh, yeah. Yeah, she. I do, uh, I just loved it. You know, the exchange is so simple. They're eating their dinner. And she says, You're awful quiet this evening. And he says, Well. And she says, Well. And he says, I just, I got a feeling something bad's coming down the road. Mm-hmm. And she <laughs> says, How you mean? And he goes, Sometimes I just, I get this feeling in the pit of my stomach, just get this bad feeling like something went rotten. And uh, she smiles and turns her head and says, Indigestion. He says, Well, uh, I just worry. She says, Joseph Robert Coates, you are a good man, she says, pointing her knife. And he goes, well, and she goes, well, <laughs> I just <laughs> thought that was phenomenal. The, 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 the history and the depth of relationship that that conversation conveys uh, and very little verbiage, uh, just them, them sitting there, just this is... <laughs> Yeah, it's just this the is his, of comics
2: too. It's uh, the, it's yeah, the expressiveness on their faces as well. Yeah,
1: yeah, it absolutely is. There's, there's a, a a lifetime of love and of companionship and of support and of her, her being his strength and his pillar and keeping him upright through everything that he's been through, no matter what she's going through. I just thought, oh, that that just was it was just phenomenal and. I think what he will go through as well, you know, uh, what he's going to go through. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. it's only
2: Ken. It's like,
1: I, you know. It. I worry reading that series of pages that that, that that woman is going to end up broken by the end of this. Uh, I just, there's nothing about this. There's nothing about this book that doesn't make me uneasy uh and for for every character in it and 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 just uh, just it's phenomenal it's so good
0: yeah it's been a, a great counterpoint to it as well i don't know if you guys have noticed or not through reading the back matter but they've actually created playlists for it on yeah. spotify as well mm-hmm. so the first playlist i have is called that texas blood one the casserole dish And it has uh, songs on there from the White Stripes, Mick Jagger, Hank Williams, Rolling Stones, Elvis, Jimi Hendrix. And then they created a second one, which is called That Texas Blood 2 to 6. So that's obviously going to be the full arc called A Brother's Conscience. And it has like Chris Christopherson and Grateful Dead and the Buzzcocks and the Kinks and the everly brothers and and all sorts so mm-hmm. it's i like it when books sort of go beyond just the pages as well and they just evoke those feelings you know in, in, in different ways so I've, I've actually listened to the playlist a couple of times yeah it's very good although i wouldn't um, listen to them while i read them because it would distract me
1: i think so i noticed there's a there's a, a testimonial on the back uh, from michael lark the uh, the artist in lazarus it says that texas blood is the best damn comic i've read in years uh them's big words from a big man um <laughs> but uh, I, I think it's interesting that we've all totally forgotten that this is not our pick of the week. <laughs> this is an honourable mention, uh, and and that is only because I think every other issue of this has been a pick of the week. Yeah, for one of us. Yeah, yeah,
2: that's a caveat right
1: there. Uh
0: huh. Yeah, that's that's definitely something that's worth going back and looking at. I wonder if there will be any series that every single issue is a pick of the week from one of us each time. Although we do try to vary it up as much as we can. Yeah. So but uh it's definitely worth a a good discussion i have a feeling that that texas blood will be a future book club at some point definitely Mm -hmm. because i Mm -hmm. think we'll all just want to really reread it again and have a good chat about it so um Yeah, yeah cool so that is going to bring to an end the honorable mentions then from 30th of september so obviously because we're recording this and the next release date is actually the 14th of October. We're just going to finish off in our usual way with the titles we're looking forward to most for the next new comic book day. So, three titles from myself. Uh, Death Metal is coming back in its sort of main form. So, the main title, Dark Knight's Death Metal number 4, is out. After we've had sort of a series of one-shots for the last little while. We've got True Lives of the Fabulous Killjoys, National Anthem number 1, which uh, just awakens the emo kid in me who loved my comic romance so much and the accompanying <laughs> comic book to Danger Days. That's also a shout out for you Stephen. And then the one I'm probably looking forward to most out of them all is Rorschach number one hits which is Tom Keane and Jorge Fornes. So some, some cracking stuff to look forward to there. What about yourself Roddy? Nice one.
2: Um, I'm going to start off with a Marvel title. Uh, the Amazing Spider-Man number fifty. Uh, I haven't actually
1: read forty nine, so I'm just gonna move on. Yeah, um, no spoilers <laughs> and all that. Uh, have you read forty nine yet, Keith? I have not. It is uh, oh, okay. as I as I mentioned. Okay. I just finished last week's pull list before we started mm-hmm. recording, so uh, I'm looking forward to getting into it. And I have there's been a lot of a lot of buzz about it on our uh, on our uh, Kale mm-hmm. Coffee and Heroes chat, and uh, a lot of folk enjoying it. So I'm looking forward to getting into it, Roddy. Right? Yeah, same. So that's that's the. 49 is the big one 50 is kind of like the aftermath isn't it 49 is legacy number 850 isn't it yeah yeah
2: Yeah. sure it's marvel every issue is a celebration Uh, of course it is (laughs) um so i'm gonna jump away from marvel to dc for you gonna you're gonna leap on somersault
1: and web swing away yeah
2: yeah um yeah, I can't. I can't come back to that. It's too late <laughs> in the night for any kind of witty, quippy Spider-Man comeback. A whoopy, quippy uh, Spider-Man comeback.
1: You
2: know? oh, hey. yeah. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, we're gonna we're gonna go. Tis the season. Tis the scary season. It's Halloween, so we're gonna go for DC's The Doomed and The Damned. Really, I really dig these anthology books, so I'm really looking forward to this one. Uh, did you know, guys? I don't know if we noticed this in previews, but um, there's some great great artists and great writers in there. Um, so you've got art by Daniel Simpierre, Tom Mandrick, Mike Perkins, Riley Rossimo, written by Saladin Ahmed, Marv Wolfman, Kenny Porter, but a couple of Northern Irish people in there.
0: Yeah.
2: Did you notice that? Yeah. Garth Ennis, PJ Holden, how about oh, that? Wow. PJ's involved. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Uh, representing the Northern Irish boys,
1: uh-huh.
2: yeah, I like that, uh-huh. uh, yeah, and then uh, we're gonna we'll jump back to speaking of Rally Rossimo, uh, his uh partner in crime for Martian Manhunter, uh, Steve Orlando has a new series from Image coming out that is Commanders in Crisis. We uh, shout out to Stephen again, who gave us an awesome sort of preview review on the coffee and heroes website on this one and so we've got Steve Orlando and David Tinto is the artist on this and it sounds great it sounds like a a new twist on a a superhero comic Um, so I'm excited for that one Commanders in Crisis
1: coming out from Image so that's yeah that's me what about you Ah, uh, for me, uh, well, I mean, I'm obviously I'm really looking forward to Rorschach, actually, Alan, and uh, I'm really looking forward to Spider Man Fifty and Commanders in Crisis, Roddy. But uh, for me, I'm really interested to see Marvel picking up the Games Workshop license next month, next week, with uh, Warhammer Forty K Marnes Calgar, uh, seeing what they do with that license. Um, so number one of that is out. Seven Secrets, uh, Tom Taylor's uh, fantastic book uh, that we've we've all been enjoying. Uh, I'm looking to see what happens now whenever it, it hits its stride in issue three I think we'll start to to figure out the direction that that's going um so I'm looking forward to that and then bit of a strange one I'm not I'm not gonna pick it up because I have all the issues and I really enjoyed <laughs> it but uh, but next week Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen the trade paperback comes out uh, and I just I feel like it was one of those one of those maxi series like lois lane that so many people maybe didn't pick up at the time and i think you could really do yourself a favor and uh and, and pick it up so so i'm going wow. to sacrifice one of my picks to make sure everybody <laughs> else uh can get a hold of the goodness well he it worked
2: because I'm, I'm gonna jump in there i'm gonna get one so
1: perfect perfect that was the
0: oh, quick, that was the quickest pitch and then acceptance ever <laughs>
2: <laughs> that was you know, good.
0: That was good. Uh, definitely wasn't pre-planned. I'll also uh, just back up slightly. to Commanders in Crisis. That is a great first issue, because Stephen was doing the review for the website. I I jumped ahead and broke my no digital comics rule just to to read that. Oh, wow. And it was. I'll still be okay. picking it up, but uh, it was actually a really really good first issue. So it was. So definitely worth picking up. We we've ordered quite big on that. Similar to Department of Truth. I think that's going to be. Alan. One people Did you
2: order
0: the uh, Peach Momoko cover? <sighs> yes. <laughs> Let me just consult my invoice. Like, I have... So there's a 1 to 10 Mirko Andolfo variant coming. That's for me, because I love Mirko. Stefan Mirka. Sejic, too. Love Mirko Then we've got the cover eight coming uh, by David Tinto. We've got variants coming from Stefan Sejic, Peach Momoko, and then actually Mirko Andolfo is also doing a normal variant, so...
2: Uh, just uh, I know how much you love Peach Momoko. So <laughs> I just thought I
0: would... Uh... Oh, we've even got some Peach Momoko goodness off at CGC at the moment and everything because there was a, uh, a cover Vicky picked up for Wind, which was actually quite a nice cover in fairness. but yeah, Is, but,
1: that, uh, is that Peach I'm drawing the cover for everything all the time, Momoko?
0: Yeah, I, I think mm. Peach Momoko probably gets her stuff colored by Jordi Belair because the two of them never seem to stop working. Yeah. You know, so mm-hmm. But uh, no regardless of what cover you pick up commanders in crisis great issue so uh comes highly recommended awesome. Looking so forward to it. what's what's interesting about uh previewing this week's polls is we can just cut and paste this section and put it in the next podcast because we'll we'll be getting caught up fully next week to the point where the next new release day when we record is going to be this one so we'll just cut and paste this it's fine <laughs> yeah. but anyway we're gonna leave it there um uh, uh, a longer one than was expected, as it usually is, but no, that, that 30th of September, the amount of quality was exceptional. We we probably could have all picked a different pick of the week and still talked about it just as much. So, oh, easy, um, easy. A great, great week of comics uh, right there. So we're going to sign off now. Uh hope everyone is staying safe out there and everyone is well. I'd like to say thanks, as always, to, to my uh, comic brothers in arms. Cheers, Keith. Thanks very much. I really enjoyed that cheers roddy
2: yeah cheers thank you yeah it's good to chat to you boys
0: yep always is and now i'll let you just go and enjoy your weekends now uh so uh we'll hopefully see you guys in store so cheers again bye bye
2: keep on winging it
0: Uh, yeah, just for the honourable mention stuff, we'll not go into too much detail. No, um,
1: I'd say we stick to stick to a sentence each. Yeah, for each book.